0: And good morning. It is a Thursday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. I am Glenn. Griffin's back today. Wish there was something pleasant to talk about, but that's not the case as the Orioles get pummeled last night by the Brewers 10-2. to Basketball game wasn't all that interesting either. No. I mean, if you're a Nuggets fan, it certainly was interesting, but... From a competition standpoint, it yeah. wasn't all that interesting. Well,
1: I mean, if, if Bruce Brown had scored ten points, would have been more interesting. Too. Ah,
0: what you what you have on that?
1: I mean, a couple of dollars. Ah, okay, all right. Well, just what it
0: made. I don't know how I feel about that being the way that you're spending your evening—is living and dying over Bruce Brown's points. That seems that seems a bit odd. But you know what? I'm not gonna tell you how to live your life. Um, there are still some more percolating DeAndre Hopkins rumors that we can talk about today, and we'll get into that for sure. But the Orioles now nine of their last 12 games where they have scored three runs or fewer. Nine of their last 12 games, three runs or fewer. Um, Coming up, by the way, in a few minutes, Dan Ducat's going to join us. It's been a while since we caught up with Dan. We're going to do that this morning. Uh, we'll make a buoy trip today. We'll catch up with their play-by-play voice, Matt Sabatis. Is it Sabatis or Sabatis? No, I don't remember. I'll, I'll double check try on ask, that. we yeah. that. Or, you know, we'll find it. Um I know it's not Sabatos. It's okay, not we're sabatos. gonna spend way too much time okay. on this. Let me let me move forward. That is what I thought it was. Yeah, it's not that. Okay. Alright, so here's the deal. I the immediately I got a ton of traction on this tweet last night. Looking like the Orioles are about to hit nine out of twelve. This was in the seventh inning before they even scored their two runs, which they ultimately scored in the ninth inning. Looking like the Orioles about to hit 9 out of 12 games, scoring 3 or fewer runs. Just not sure Josh Lester is going to be the spark to lift them out of the funk. It feels like returning home this weekend should be the moment for reinforcements. And it, It's easy to continue to say, hey, this is baseball, this is the way that it goes, and today could be the day, and they could end up scoring 12 runs today, and then wouldn't you feel silly about that? No. <laughs> no. Because then it would just be 9 out of 13 games. And was pointed out by a couple people who responded to that one. Um, even the three games where they scored runs, it felt like it was all about one inning. And by the way, that doesn't mean it doesn't count. I'd be happy if they scored eight runs a game and all of the eight runs came in one inning in every game. That would be just fine by me. If they went eight innings of every game without scoring runs, as long as in the other inning they scored eight runs every time. That would be phenomenal. There's enough of a sample size to realize there's a problem here. And it is combined with the other end of the problem, which is that there is just no... I, I remember talking about the idea that perhaps they were keeping Jordan Westberg down for trade purposes. Unless that trade is coming tomorrow, there's no reason for that to continue. And I can't fathom what trade would be coming tomorrow. And as much as we believe this team needs another starting pitcher, and don't get me wrong, I think they need another starting pitcher, we're at the point where even if we still assume that they're getting Cedric Mullins back in a couple of weeks, and I don't know. We haven't seen an update on that just yet. But even if we assume that's the case, it's pretty clear at this point that this team needs offensive reinforcements as well. If you're concerned about Jordan Westberg as he comes up and he scuffles and that limits his value and you have identified him as your most tradable chip, if the Orioles internally have said, the guy we think we can use in order to land our top-notch starting pitcher is Westberg, because we don't think that Norby is going to get us what we want, and we don't believe that we want to deal anybody else. Westberg's the guy. That's all well and good. I can accept that to some stretch of the imagination, although, I don't know, I am starting to wonder if his value is greater in a trade or if his value is greater here. Like I I do think that building a championship team, the Orioles still need top-of-the-rotation pitching. So... I'm in a tough spot here because if you're not going to trade Westberg, I, it is fair. I don't know right now what's getting you that type of piece. Could Colton Kowser get you that? Sure. But do you really want to trade Colton Kowser right now? I don't, I don't think so. I think you believe that Colton Kowser is a part of this moving forward. So I don't think Hauser is a piece that you want to touch. I sure as hell don't think you're trading Gunnar Henderson. I. It's got to be that caliber of a prospect. I don't think you want to trade Heston Kerstad. I don't think that anything more that Jordan Westberg does at AAA can improve his value. I don't think there's anything else he can do. I think it's abundantly clear that Jordan Westberg has proven and graduated. Is it possible that he comes up and he plays here for a month and... It depreciates. I, I guess it's possible. Like, would teams really change? Most most teams know right. that guys tend to scuffle for the first month of their major league experience. So if he
1: struggles for three weeks, would teams really be that down on him that they wouldn't even want to trade?
0: Um, like, I would find that unlikely. Right. I would find that unlikely. Now, I still... I get why it's complicated, and I get that they're trying to value two things at the same time. But at some point this offense needs a jolt. They also might fear that if they bring up Jordan Westberg and he's pummeling the ball, then it's more difficult to trade him because his fan base would go nuts at that point. But then, I mean, then you have a guy that's good. I understand that, but, like, you know, if that's what's lifting the offense up, I, I get that it's complicated. I get that it's not easy. But I also think that there's a first problem that has to be solved. The first problem is you have to recognize offensively you don't have it. You don't have it. The juice isn't there. And you can believe that there's more to come from Gunnar Henderson. You can believe that there's, that you can get better from Ryan Mountcastle, though I think we're starting to, you know, Mountcastle and Mateo are the guys that we're starting to just wonder if you're ever going to get better from. And Mateo at an, a horrendous level, Mountcastle at a level where at least there's still a lot of power there, a fair amount of power there, I think it's fair to wonder about those two guys and what the level is that you're going to get from those guys it, ever as far as this it plan. It, it's time. It, it's time. It's time for reinforcements. And coming home provides the opportunity. Somebody could say, well, they get to face the Royals. Maybe that alone could get their bats going, and maybe that's why they don't want to do anything drastic. There's nothing drastic about calling up guys that are ready for the major leagues. That's not drastic. It would be drastic to call up Heston Kerstad. That would be drastic. That would be reactive. That would be absurd. But matching an offensive funk with it's probably an appropriate time to call one or two of these guys up, that's not drastic. That's realistic. That's making a good baseball decision. Well, I don't know where are they where they're going to play every day. Well, it's time it's time to stop worrying about protecting guys that continue to show us that they're not likely part of this thing long term. Now that is the dramatic part of this, and we talked about that yesterday with Zach. The dramatic side of this is that if you call up Colton Cowser, you would say, "Well, one, Aaron Hicks has been hot, you know, God bless over a couple of games. We had fun with that with Would You Rather Wednesday yesterday, but." Nobody needs to actually protect Aaron Hicks. And if you want to run Aaron Hicks out there for a little while, because you do know that Cedric Mullins is going to come back at some point, and he will take another outfield spot. So if you call up Colton Kowser and you want to run Aaron Hicks out in right field and have Santan there play first base, that you found another way to skin a cap. Congratulations. I'm not opposed to that being the solution here. If you're inclined to keep Aaron Hicks in the lineup. Now, I get it. It's dramatic, because you're essentially saying there's no longer going to be at-bats every day for Ryan Mountcastle. I don't think Ryan Mountcastle was ever going to be a valuable trade ship. I I don't know that Ryan Mountcastle is ever going to prove to be an everyday player for a high-level championship-caliber team. I worry that Ryan Mountcastle is... A guy with some pop that on a bad team that doesn't have to worry about where at-bats come from could pad his stats and put up 35 home runs, but he's going to strike out a ton in the process of doing it, and that is going to be so detrimental to a good team that I just don't know that you have to worry about guaranteeing him at-bats. Now, to be clear, if you want to rotate guys... You can always find, I mean, this is a Brandon Hyde team that we're talking about. You're always going to be able to find at-bats Ryan Mountcastle. You can find them. But guaranteeing him an everyday spot, I'm not sure that I'm worried about that anymore. So
1: start platooning at first base, kind of, and, yeah, maybe, and maybe. maybe that even works make Mountcastle out of the lineup more and more until... Maybe,
0: or... or- he's Again, because He's Chris this Carter. the like, second, it's essentially what I'm yeah. kind of getting at is that I think that just might be what we're learning. And look, maybe somebody would say it's too early to say that, you know, to commit to that. Fine, but it's not like this is new. Like I, we have to go over Ryan Mountcastle's on base percentage. Hang on a second.
1: And, I mean, I guess what makes it kind of tougher is that he is a good base runner. Like, he's got yeah, some speed. He's an, not, he's it, an athlete. It, like.
0: his, he's not an asset as a base runner, though. Right. Um, you know, outside of the 35 games that he played in that 2020 season, the pandemic season, where, you know, in that stretch, he was producing all over the place. He was the 309, 305 on base percentage guy. Like, to say that he's... He's not abysmal. This has been the worst that we've seen from Ryan Mountcastle in his career. Is fair, and I can certainly understand why the Orioles would say, "Well, we don't want to commit to this being the answer because we do think the answer might be closer to, say, 2021, when he was getting on base at a 309 clip and you know hit 33 home runs, which is not otherworldly by any stretch of the imagination, but is is certainly good enough. You can live with that." Ryan Mountcastle. end that we've got on Ryan Mountcastle. and that we've got on Ryan Mountcastle. I'm not worried about that. Again, its dramatic side is, dramatic side is, if you make a move to bring someone up, And my real answer would be, right now, you wouldn't guarantee Aaron Hicks at bats. Aaron Hicks would be the guy that would suffer from this. You let Anthony Santander continue to play in right field, and Ryan Mountcastle will continue to play in him out of first base. But if, it, if the flexibility is there, that if it means a couple more off days for Ryan, Ryan Mountcastle, you live with that. Yeah, obviously. I'm going to live with yeah. that. I continue to say that everybody that thinks the answer on Westburg is Mateo, I, I don't think, I think there's zero chance of that. If the Mateo decision is made, I believe it's made for Joey Ortiz. Period. I think they value defense entirely too much. And I'm not even really knocking that. It's not even me second-guessing it. I think if Mateo goes, he only goes for Ortiz. Which then leaves you with the question of where then Westberg? And it's a fair question. Are you punting Arias, who again is a high-level defensive player? I'm not sure that I think that's the end of the world if that's the case. I get wanting to prioritize defense. I certainly get it with as flimsy as your pitching is. But there's got to be a line between these two things. There's got to be found a line between offensive and defense. And ultimately, I think it's why a lot of people thought that the immediate answer to Mullins would be call up Westberg and then move everybody as necessary. If you want to wait on Couser, fine, but get Westberg up here first. It's easier to do one and and then continue to monitor these guys and see who's settling into a role and see who's performing nicely and go from there. But this isn't a... I don't think you can say this is a blip on the radar anymore offensively. They have a problem. Sure, they faced Corbin Burns last night. Like, I'm not trying to ignore that. Or pretend like they haven't faced other good pitchers in this process. Alex Cobb's had a really nice season. I don't know how good he is, but he's having a nice season. They face good pitchers. That's Texas, not Texas' rotation looks really good.
1: Uh, well, without I mean, the Rom, yeah, I you, mean, that's, that, the that,
0: Grum. that's obviously terrible news for them. Yeah. But in general, correct. I'm not trying to dismiss that, but they're going to face good. They, like this is we're not measuring this in. oh, gee shucks, these are the the little guys, and it's just such a shame for them to have to face all these good pitchers. That's what you have to do in order to win. What happens when
1: you get to the playoffs?
0: In order to, in order to get there, in order to win something of significance, you're going to have to face good pitchers all season. The answer can't just be, well, we're not going to be good if the team faces good pitchers. Sure, we all know that sometimes you're just not going to have a night. But we're talking about a stretch of two weeks now, of two weeks of, offense, of largely offensive futility. And they still managed to win some games in the process. It's remarkable they went and took two out of three in San Francisco and, you know, like, I credit the fact that they figured out ways to stay afloat through this. But at some point, something has to be done. It can't just be continuously sitting around and waiting when what are you waiting for? We- like nobody is saying kick Gunner Henderson out of the lineup. We get it. Gunner Henderson is supposed to be part of the solution. But
1: you're waiting for Adam Frazier to like figure out how to be a leadoff hitter well, all of a sudden. I, I, like but, but I'm
0: not kicking Adam Fraser out right. of the lineup. Adam Fraser is too valuable for for this team. I'm not kicking Adam Fraser out of as the lineup. Just a, as just a vet that... just they take his cues. He comes up with big hits. He's a professional. Like he has a the the right approach that you want. Adam Fraser is not the problem. It doesn't need to be for Aaron Hicks. And we're getting closer to the point where it doesn't need to be for Ryan Mountcastle. And we can debate about whether or not it certainly doesn't need to be for Josh Lester, right? Like, we know that. And I think we know, as as fun of a story as it's been, it doesn't need to be for Ryan O'Hearn. Well... I get it. It's yeah. been a fun story, and I understand, like, he's come up with some big... And nobody's saying... Of all the fringe guys. Nobody's saying run him off the team. No one's saying get, you know... Hang him an effigy, although I get it. If you're calling up guys, somebody's got to go. I do understand that. But, like, you don't need to be coming up with regular at-bats. That doesn't need to be a priority for a team at this point, is regular at-bats. You can find appropriate times for Ryan O'Hearn to get at-bats. You got to try to push some buttons right now. It It is, you know, as we were talking about with John Mioli, this is more of a critical time where it feels like a can you stay viable until whatever clicks, until you can make a trade, whatever that is. And it's looking more and more difficult the longer you stay in these offensive funks. And without... Again, I know that Cedric Mullen's return would be the the single best thing that could help this baseball team. And we always had to accept that there was going to be a major pain that came with losing Cedric Mullins. You can't lose the guy that's leading your team in war and just be like, well, everybody else, he's their best player. That was going to hurt. Period, it was going to hurt. That's the way it works. That's baseball. The Yankees aren't going to be as good without Aaron Judge while he's gone. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to lose every game or that they don't have other professionals, but you can't just lose your best player and say, well, everything will be fine. And you can, you know, pull up the... Well, you know, but look at stop. It doesn't work that way. And it's also a reminder that the Orioles were a bit flimsier than everyone else. They were being held up by the fact that Cedric Mullins was such a rock star to start the season. It's not doom and gloom. I get it. The Orioles still have the third best record in baseball. Like I'm not I'm not trying to make this seem like a panic, but it's time to to start thinking about pushing the appropriate buttons and the Orioles coming home this weekend, no matter what happens today in the finale is the appropriate time for there to be a button pushed. It's time at least one. It might be time for multiple, but at least one of these buttons to try to find something that can ignite. And, and, and by the way, even except if it's going to take time for these guys to get adjusted to the major league level, I'd rather that happen in June than in, August. August, yeah. Like, like, let's go. Let's see if they can be productive in August.
1: So since you demanded it, I'm sure they'll call up Cole Irvin now.
0: Well, I mean, they also need a fifth starter for Saturday, so they're probably going to have to call up Cole Irvin. I mean, I literally don't know at this point. Like, Grayson Rodriguez, is apparently his window would not be there yet. Now, they can always have somebody. Like, yeah, they, can, they can say to yeah. Josh Lester, hey, real shame about that pothole you stepped in. Like, they can <laughs> always put someone on the I.L., in order to to make a move for Grayson Rodriguez, but like without that, Grayson Rodriguez wouldn't be able to be up. I and and it's clearly it's not going to be Bruce Zimmerman now. So I, I I just don't know what else there is at this point. I think Irvin is scheduled to start fr- tomorrow for Norfolk, but that's all messed up because they haven't been playing games with air quality issues this week. So I don't yeah I don't even know how that works out. Look I I assume it's going to be Cole Irvin starting on Saturday. I assume that's how this plays out. Today's show brought to you by your local Toyota dealer and buyatoyota.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Uh, Again, Orioles Brewers wrap up the series this afternoon. Just after 2 o'clock, Kyle Bradish on the mound against Colin Rea as they try to avoid the sweep before they head home to begin a series against the Royals tomorrow night. Always appreciate opportunities to catch up with our next guest. He, of course, was the architect of the Orioles teams that found so much success in the uh, teens and were the winningest team in the American League there for a span of five years. He is, of course, former Orioles general manager or executive vice president of baseball operations, if I have it correctly. He is our friend Dan Duquette, and he's back with us now here on GCR. Dan, it's Glenn in Baltimore. It's always great to catch up. Thank you so much for taking a couple of minutes for us this morning.
2: Hi, Glenn. How are you? I'm good, well. Good to be with you.
0: How are you, my yeah. friend? What, what, what's going on in Dan Duquette's world these days?
2: Uh, we... Um We've been spending a lot of time in North Carolina. We've got a couple of young boys uh, playing ball down here. And uh, one of them's in the Legion program. The other one is playing ball. And uh, I've been doing some consulting work. I've got a couple of clients in, the, uh, in and around Major League Baseball and a couple of other institutional clients. And um, that's, that's what we've been doing.
0: All right. Uh, what, what part of North Carolina are you in?
2: Uh, we live outside Wilmington. Okay. Beautiful spot. It's oh, a nice place. Yeah, a lot that. of people move here from the northeast. Yeah. I can tell you that. It's beautiful. Absolutely,
0: uh, that is a beautiful <laughs> part. Are you a uh, are you a barbecue yeah. guy, Dan?
2: Uh, yeah, I like to. Uh, I got a grill out back. I got a grill for my birthday. I, we had had a nice grill up in the Cape where we sold our house, and we did a lot of uh, grilling out in the back. And uh, we left the grill there. And for my birthday a couple of weeks ago, my wife got me a nice grill down here. So we've been we've been leveraging that. Um, yeah, that's one of our favorite things to do. I love that.
0: I love that. That sounds like a decent way to spend time, man. I, it sounds pretty good to me. Um, Dan, it's so much of I, I, a lot of stuff I want to cover with you, but I just want to start with a couple of guys that I know are really important to you. And one, it's been unfortunate because Cedric Mullins has been hurt of late, but. The start that we saw him get off to this season, to me, is even more important than the 30-30 year that he had a couple years ago, because I think we all knew that that 30-home run mark was not going to be the story of Cedric Mullins, and I think we all knew a few things about the baseball that season, so I don't think it was reasonable to judge him by 30 home runs. But the guy that we've seen this year that's just been exceptional has been getting on base and stealing bases and superb range in the outfield and hitting with runners in scoring position and the heart and soul of a winning baseball team. When did you know that Cedric Mullins had the ability to be a special type of baseball player?
2: Well, you know, uh, you know what he did 30-30, I mean, nobody's ever done that before. So that tells you the uh, – uniqueness of his skill set, right? I mean, this guy can do it. Um, You know, obviously, obviously we liked him. Uh, He he was, he was short. We liked him so much. We drafted him twice and we couldn't get him signed (laughs) the first time. Um, But um, Rich Morales did a great job with him. And so did uh, Matt Haas, our uh, cross checker. Uh, Rich did the legwork in, in the, uh, in, uh, North Carolina, uh, the kid went to Campbell and, uh, and then he went to Lewisburg and then Matt Haas had cross-checked him the first year we drafted him and we came back and got him the second year. But, um, you know, he was short in height, but he was a- always strong. And then he, he, to his credit, he, he got even stronger when he got into pro ball. And then his career really took off when he, um, focused on hitting, you know, from, from the left side. Uh, you know, he, he, he always had, he always had the tools when he signed, he had the tools minimum to be a fourth outfielder and the way he's developed his, uh, offensive skills in his overall game. You know, he's one of the better all around players in the big leagues and that's a credit to him and the, and the, and the work that he's done frankly, right. Right. um, uh, you know, I was disappointed to see him get hurt. He was having such a great year, but hopefully he'll be back again soon.
0: Dan, I was talking to Adam about this the other day. I they are different baseball players, right? Like they don't have the same skill set. But I remember the electricity for the city, for the ball club, the day that you guys announced the extension for Adam in 2012. Like what that did for everyone was overwhelming, right? Like it was a time where you know we didn't know exactly how committed. Like we 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 didn't know what to make of anything yet. And then all of a sudden Adam like signs to an extension And everything about, like, our perception of the Orioles changes in that moment. And I'm wondering if, like, it feels like that would be an appropriate parallel right now for the Orioles and Cedric Mullins to say, it's time, invest, plant your flag with this guy for five to six years, and let everybody know this is the heart and soul of the franchise. Yes, Adley Rutschman's a hell of a baseball player, but this is the guy, and let everyone know we're serious in the process.
2: Yeah, well, I think it's important to uh, give that message to the fans that uh, these are our guys, right? Mm -hmm. And they're going to be the uh, heart and soul of the team. They're going to be the core members of our team. And you can depend on them being out there when you come out to support the Orioles for the next, you know, several years, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, and I, I thought it was important to do that because, I had seen uh, in Montreal, we had great players but we didn't have the economic wherewithal to keep them all together for a long period of time and I, I saw the cost of the organization when you some, summarily dismiss these players and send them somewhere else, right? And The fans, they develop an affinity for a player That, that that's how they connect with the team for a lot of people and it's important to know that they can depend on that player being there, right, as part of their team. So I I think you make a good point. When I I went to Boston, I thought it was important for us to uh, put a stake in the ground and say these are our guys. And fortunately, we drafted Nomar uh, with our first draft pick. He came up. He won a couple of batting titles. And he was, uh, you know, the most identifiable player that we had had on that team at shortstop. He played every day. And then we went and we traded for Pedro, and we signed him long-term. And those were the two core guys that we were going to build around in Boston, right? I mean, that's who the fans like. They like the big-time players. They yep. like the superstars.
0: Yeah. And by so, the way, it worked out okay for them, by the
2: way. <laughs> yeah, right. It worked out good because yeah. of those players, right? They, I mean, they, they were great players, and, you know, they, had, they, had great, they were elite players. They had great careers, right? N- N- Nomar was a two-time batting champ, right-handed. The last guy to do that before him was Joe DiMaggio. Shoot. So, and then Pedro's, the uniqueness of his career, you know, of course he made the hall of fame. It's the best pitcher of his era. Like one of the best pitchers in the history of the game for like five year period. But anyway, Adam was uh, a young core player. He was a center fielder yep. that could hit. And not only could he hit and play the field, he had power. And he was just you, learning to uh, put all his, skills together. And when I got to Baltimore, I looked at all the players that we had within the organization. I, and I looked at it and I said, well, who can we really build with and who, uh, has some leadership capability to, uh, to lead our team. And, uh, Adam was the man, right. He, he stood out. He had made a, he had made a commitment to, um, the city yeah, I, I I I didn't know him before I got there, but um, I, I knew his uh, father-in-law, Gene Fugit, of course, who I who had played football at Amherst like I, and he, Gene Fugit, had had started uh, under Bob Brown, who was an, another Amherst guy, and Gene Fugit uh, used to do the pinch hitter statistics for Earl Weaver when he was an intern <laughs> um, years ago. So. I I knew the family, right. I knew Adam's family, uh, because, uh, you know, Adam, uh, married Jean's daughter, but Adam thrived in that role. He was a leader on the team. He put a stake in the community. He was a leader in the community. He was an inspirational player. Um, and you know, I mean, we, 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 we had some good years together and, and, uh, Could the Orioles do that now with the core players they have? I'm sure they could if they decided they wanted to uh, put a stake in the ground. Um, The catcher, of course, is is a candidate. uh, Cedric Mullins is a candidate. You know, you got to take a look at all the risk factors. But, you know, if you're going to complete that pack with the fans where you say, we are going to be competitive, we're going to put a stake in the ground, and for the next five years, uh, these are a couple of our guys, uh, you know, then you can go ahead and go ahead and sign them up.
0: Dan Duquette is with us here on GCR. Dan, the parallel is even more interesting to me because, like, I, I almost see, I, I have no doubt that you guys wanted to keep Manny Machado around, right? But that that was, it was a little bit of a more difficult thing to do. And in the comparison with, say, Cedric and Adley Rutschman, I have no doubt the Orioles would like to keep Adley Rutschman around, but... I mean, hell, I, that that might be 250, 300 million dollars at this point. I don't know that you can do that for a reasonable price. Yeah, um, yeah I, 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 I don't know. Right. I mean, again, I'm I'm spitballing. I'm saying I certainly have no idea myself. But it does feel like this is the appropriate way to say, hey, look, but we can do this, and it's a player, much like you point out about Adam. And I get Cedric vocally will never be what Adam was because, my God, who could be, right? Like there will be few people that will ever play this game that will vocally be the people that Adam are. But all of the other boxes that you talk about, commitment to the city and passion and leadership and the way the guys take their cues from him and being the guy that you want everybody to look at, it just feels like Cedric checks all of those boxes that you could possibly want as a, you know, figurehead leader for this baseball team.
2: Yeah. Well, Adam was his role model.
0: Yep. Correct. Correct.
2: (laughs) Adam Adam was his role model. When he came up, he took him aside and he talked to him. Yep. So, um, you know, he, fortunately, uh, Adam was a good veteran player and he took his role seriously. And, you know, Cedric Mullins is, it's part of Adam's legacy as well. So that's a great point. um, And, you know, and uh, you know, and we, we made an effort to sign Manny. We couldn't get it done. Uh, We we should have signed him. He was one of those rare players um, that had the talent. The Orioles identified it where they drafted him. He distinguished himself early on in his career. And, you know, the Orioles could have signed him up for a long term there at a a point in time where, where he needed the money.
0: It's a a fair point. But
2: you know, yeah, I mean, it it, it didn't work out that way. But uh, you know, Manny could have been a core player for a couple more years. Um, We would have had to put some more assets around him. But uh, the the Orioles do. The Orioles do have some core players and uh, could be competitive. Uh, You know, they're an exciting team to watch. I
0: agree. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Dan if if I could, the other the other guy that I want to talk to you about was Austin Hayes because I, I feel like we saw this a little bit last year and we started to feel like hey, maybe Austin has really turned the corner and is proving that he can also be like a cornerstone piece. And then it, it kind of tailed off as the season went on and I think we had some questions coming in and you know, maybe there's it, it there's a reluctance here to fully buy in because of what happened last year, but I, it really feels like he's developed into the guy that you always believed he was capable of being. Like Maybe he'll never be a superstar in this game, but a true quality guy that you can count on day in and day out, that's going to get you big hits, that's going to produce in situations. It feels like Austin Hayes has become the baseball player that you guys believed he was capable of being.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, Austin, Austin Hayes is a tool player. This guy can do a couple things really well. Uh, he can hit. He can hit uh, the fastball, he can hit velocity, uh, he can run, and he's got a great arm. He's got one of the better arms in the big leagues. Uh, so uh, we saw him in the Cape League, and uh, he showed all five tools there, and he's got some tools that are above average, and you know that, that, that makes him a, a good, solid core, everyday player. And his, his issue has always been uh, being physically available to his team. You know, you, you hear people say that the, the best ability is availability. Right. Uh, like uh, Johnny Damon, when I signed him with the Red Sox, what I liked about Johnny Damon is that guy played every single game. Mm-hmm. He 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 averaged like 158 games a year with the Kansas City Royals. He'd come into Fenway Park, and I'd have to watch him run the bases a couple times every game, run down the balls in the outfield, and then watch him do it again the next day. And Austin Hayes has, has proven uh, that he can be reliable. And I I think uh, that's, that's really the only issue. Um, You know, you, you you have, it takes a while to learn how to keep yourself healthy and available for the course of the major league season. And, and, you know, Austin's, Austin's doing a good job with that, but you know, when he's out there, he's, he's got everything and, and uh, he can beat you and help you win a lot of games and, and, every every area of the game,
0: Dan, I wonder if you could take me through. Obviously, you have no idea what's going on as far as like right now, Orioles fans are are very interested. When's Jordan Westburg going to be here? when's Colton Cows are going to be here? Could you take me through what this looks like for an organization just sort of generically, when you have prospects that have performed and have performed for some time and it feels like they're ready to graduate, but you've also had a team that's been winning and it's it's not as obvious as maybe it was for the Reds and Ellie De La Cruz or, you know, a year ago for the Orioles and Adley Rutschman where no one was really blocking that path. Can you take me through the difficulty of this decision-making and what goes into making a decision about when the appropriate time is to call up a top prospect?
2: Um, well, it's, it's really not a difficult decision, right? It, uh, um, if you have... Good depth. You, you'll have the opportunity because over the course of the season, you always get injuries, right?
3: Yes, so, sir.
2: and and you know, for the player, uh, you know, their job is to be ready and available when they get the opportunity, right? What, what does Branch Ricky say? Uh, luck is the residue of design, right? Um, you know, your your job as a player is to develop the skills you need, and then you, you're, you're going to get an opportunity. The league set up so that if if you're blocked in by one club, uh, somebody else is gonna need you in the big leagues. So the idea is to get yourself ready to play in the big leagues. And uh, you know, the Orioles are in a position where they have some good depth with their position players, uh, you know, throughout the organization. And I I'm I'm sure in due time they'll all get their they'll all get their opportunity.
0: Can I ask you about one of one of your other guys? I I, I feel like we're almost starting to be concerned a little bit the other way when it comes to Ryan Mountcastle who we we know the pop right like we know he has the ability to hit 30 plus home runs and that's obvious but the flip side is he the on-base percentage has just been an issue and you know guys strike out we know guys strike out right like even even when Chris Davis was in you know the peak of what he was doing he was striking out a lot you can live with that but is there a line in which you say hey the pop is great but if you can't get on base at a consistent 300-plus clip, I, we just can't continue to, to, to do this. Like, how do you handle measuring on base versus middle-of-the-order bats?
2: Yeah, well, it, it, in order to be a dependable middle order in the bat, you know, you you, you got to be reliable. And, you know, the, the key to being a good hitter is strike zone judgment, right? Yeah. So Ryan Mountcastle's issue is that he has to work on balls in the strike zone, right? Every hitter is better when he, when, when he offers that balls in the strike zone. And uh, Ryan, I, I, it looks to me like he has to be reminded every single day to work on those balls in the strike zone and to develop the, uh, the, the discipline
3: to uh,
2: try to only work on those balls in the strike zone. And, and when, when he does that, you know, he'll be a reliable player. Uh, uh, core middle, middle of the lineup guy it, it, until he does that. He's, he's not going to be excelled. Right. What, what was Ted Williams say, right? You got to get a good ball to hit, right? Mm-hmm. When you, when you start swinging at balls at the strike zone, guess what you get more of? You get more balls out of the strike zone. Right. 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 Um, so anyway, it, it, when he works on balls in the strike zone, he's he's a, he's a, he's an elite hitter. He can hit velocity. He's, he's act, a, absolute death to left handed pitchers. Um, so, you know, it look, looks to me like he's a good core guy versus lefties and that uh, he needs a little bit more plate discipline to be a reliable middle of the lineup hitter. Because, he, you know, he, if you're going to be a dependable RBI guy, you got to be making some consistent contact, right?
0: Yep, 100%. Uh, when, those, when,
2: when those guys are on base. You know, I mean, H- Hank Aaron, Manny Ramirez, those guys, they they make a living by going up there and hitting their pitch, right, in, uh, in the RBI situations. Ryan's got to do a little bit more of that. Um, he's still young enough where he can do it, where he can develop the plate discipline. Um, and, of course, you know, I mean, this guy can hit the ball out of Yellowstone.
0: <laughs> we know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we know yeah. that. The power so, is real. You
2: know, just, yeah, he just needs to work in a strike zone more often.
0: Can I ask you, like, what numbers mattered to you, Dan? Like, you know, when I bring up on base, like, what what did you care about in judging a player? Like, what was it that you said, hey, if, if this guy's doing this, then we can live with this? Like, what were the numbers that mattered to you, say, for a, a power type of bat?
3: Um,
2: you know, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, everybody has their own uh, metrics that they rely on. Um, you know, I, I, um, I, 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 I like guys that can, uh, put the ball in play. I, I don't like to watch guys that go up there and strike out all the time. Um, you know, I, I mean, those, those are, those are outs that are kind of wasted. And, you know, I'm not trying to be critical of hitters. Hitting is so hard now. I mean, these guys are blowing the ball up there a hundred miles an hour right. and not just one, one or two of them. You see these closers come in. You can't even see the ball. These guys are throwing a hundred and two, a hundred and three. I, I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. So I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't mean to be critical of, of, of hitters, but, you know, you, you got to work on, you got to work on balls in the strike zone, and you have to know yourself, so that, you know, if you can get a hit when your team needs a hit, that's a really, really valuable player. And
0: you know. The- I agree I, I completely agree with you, I, you know, and I, I don't I know it's not Bible and I know that, that like everybody goes to these types of things just just something that I'm trying to monitor can I before I let you go can I just ask it was it was neat for me to see you uh, you know I, we brought up Adam earlier I saw you were on his podcast recently um and, 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 I, and I thought I, I think that there were people that believed that there was probably like animosity between the two of you guys at the end like can, can you tell me about that and, and your relationship and, and doing that because I, I thought that was a really cool thing to see.
2: Adam, he's so funny. So <laughs> when 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 we had a deal put in place, you know, Adam could have went to play for the Phillies, right? Yep. But he has the ten and five, and uh, you know, we offered to get a limo for his family to go back and forth to, from Philadelphia, right? He could have lived here and played for the rest of the season up there, and and you know, the guys up there, a lot of them came from Baltimore, right? So mm-hmm. so they, they liked him obviously. And I thought it was a good opportunity for for him to be a part of a pennant race because we obviously were out of the pennant race then. But you know, he he wanted to be known um, as an Oriole. He wanted to end, end his career on his terms here. Um, and that, that that was fine. I I I, I didn't uh, I didn't I didn't have any issues. I didn't have any issues with that. You know, it, it, it's hard when you have a veteran player there was a core player for you and mm-hmm. meant, meant a lot to the team and to the community and to the fans in the community. And then it comes time that you tell them, okay, well, we, we, we don't have a spot for you in our lineup and uh, you we, we want to send you down the road. I mean, that's a, that's a difficult choice for the team. You know, it's, it's tough for the players and it's tough for the fans. So that didn't, that, that, that didn't really bother me. I, I love Adam. I love his family. My my boys used to uh, uh, hang out with him in spring training. His his, his wife, body. We followed them when they were over in in Japan. I I, I had some bats custom made for his boys. So oh, that's
0: cool. That's I, cool. I, I
2: I love Adam and I love his family. That's awesome,
0: Dan Ducat. It's so great to catch up with you, sir. Uh, in, enjoy the good life in North Carolina, my friend. Appreciate you taking a couple of All minutes right, for cool.
2: us. All right. Enjoy, enjoy the Orioles. Thanks for having me
0: on. Thanks, Dan. Dan Duquette, former Orioles GM, with us here on GCR. Um, you know, I, it it stands out strong to me, this opportunity that the Orioles have with Cedric Mullins. And again, I, I don't want it to be that you're choosing Cedric Mullins because you're not going to get it done with Adley Rutschman. And it's easy to be critical of what happened in the past and the Orioles doing it with Adam Jones, but not getting it done with Manny Machado. Like this is the immediate, the the, the, the parallel is so fascinating to me of what's in front of you. But if you're not extending Cedric Mullins because you're like, well, we're going to need that money if we're going to go after Adley Rutschman, that's a problem too. It's what I said about Chris Davis signing. Chris Davis can't be, well, this is the only money we have. If we spend money on Chris Davis and we can't spend money on anybody else. Well, that's, You're setting yourself up for failure that way as well. But you have a unique opportunity in front of you to identify the first and say, this ain't a blip on the radar. We have plans to do something real here. Let's get it done right now with this guy and then let the dominoes fall after that. And I think the parallel is overwhelming. And you could quote it sort of here when Dan started chuckling, like, there is an obvious parallel between those things. Different players. I'm, I want to be abundantly clear about that. Cedric Rollins is not going to be the 30-home-run guy. That's not him. The ball was juiced. Like we, we can't measure him by that. It's unfair. But as I said a year ago, I thought the other things he was doing was backing up how viable he was as a legitimate major leaguer, borderline star. And in the same way that Adam Jones was never going to be a Hall of Famer, Cedric Mullins is offering you a quality of baseball player that you don't want to have. You don't want to lose. And I'm not talking about keeping around until he's 40, but to do a five-year deal, take him to he's 33, 34, something like that. I don't think that you assume that the speed is going to dissipate so much that it costs him wholly. And in his value as a baseball player. I get it. Like, Colton Kowser we think, is going to be special. But there are three outfield spots. There's three. You can figure this out, and it can be a good thing to have Cedric Mullins. And I think there is a question. Like, I I don't know range-wise if Colton Kowser is going to present exactly what, you know, Cedric Mullins presents. And while, yes, you also need to protect a spot for Heston Kerstad at some point in the future— these sound like good problems to have. I don't know if you're going to extend both Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes. And then at some point the question becomes, is Austin Hayes also kind of a trade chip? Like if you don't want to trade Jordan Westberg, like could you use Austin Hayes? Now I get it. Who's the team that has major league pitching that's looking for a major league outfielder? It's a, it's a fair question to ask. But somebody would also say who's the team that has major league pitching that's looking for a major league ready Jordan Westberg? Like who's trading you their top notch pitcher that knows that their window is within Jordan Westberg's arbitration years. Like, wouldn't that team probably prefer someone that's not there yet? But you're not going to deal Jackson Holliday, so, you know, it is kind of what it is. Appreciate Dan Duquette taking the time for us this morning. All right, still to come, uh, we are going to head down to Bowie, make our re- re- weekly trip down there. Uh, their play-by-play voice, Matt Sabatis, is going to join us. Also, uh, we're going to talk some NBA finals with Tony Massenberg after the Nuggets took game three last night in Miami to take a 2-1 series lead. That's all on the way. Today's show also brought to you by A.J. Michaels, expert and award-winning A.J. Michaels. Heating, A.C. plumbing, home performance will improve your home's energy efficiency and comfort levels. A.C. season is here. New rebates and discounts are available. More at AJMichaels.com. It's Glenn Clark Radio.
4: The All-America Senior Game, powered by New Balance, will be back at Johns Hopkins Homewood Field on July 29th. The most decorated girls and boys lacrosse players in the country have been invited to play in what is the premier lacrosse event of the year. Every college coach wants their players in this game, and if you dream of being in this game, you start by trying out for one of your regional underclass teams this summer. The best against the best. Get your tickets now at allamericalacrosse.com. Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer
6: today. Costa Inn has been serving up delicious steamed crabs for over 50 years. Lately, the crabs you want to eat when the weather warms up have gotten harder and harder to get, so get your crab-eating game plan in place. Make sure to stick this number on your fridge, 410 477 1975. Call ahead and reserve the size crabs you want. You may be able to walk in, but you may also be disappointed at the size or maybe even get shut out altogether. So call ahead, have a plan, and then arrive on your crab-eating vacation. Costas also has delicious crab soup and crab cakes. The Costas Inn at 4100 North Point Boulevard. For more than 50 years, they've been satisfying crab lovers in and around Baltimore. That first sip. That first bite. Mm-hmm.
5: If you need more of Glenn, you can also hear him every Sunday with Rita on 105.7 The Fan. But also, if you need more of Glenn, um, what's wrong with you?
0: Back in here on GCR as we continue along here on a Thursday edition of the program. Pressboxonline.com slash offers is where you should go right now to get $150 in bonus bets. From DraftKings, after you place your first $5 bet, you can see this and other great sportsbook offers right now at PressBoxOnline.com slash offers. So DeAndre Hopkins is visiting the Titans, which is super weird. I mean, like, why? Kind of on both ends, why, right? Like, the Titans... Kind of lost AJ Brown. They, I understand that, that. they kind of clearly don't believe that they in Ryan Tannehill because they just drafted Will Levis, but they're not yeah. committed to Will Levis either. Like Ryan Tannehill's their quarterback. They're sort of in this, you know, purgatory situation where they don't believe they can win, but yet yeah, like, and this is what I always say: like once you believe you need to draft a quarterback, just play that quarterback and and figure out because you know the answer in Ryan Tannehill. You're not winning with them, so. Like they were the number one seed, right? What what year was that? Was that 21? twenty were they twenty one? Yeah, twenty one yeah. they were. Like, but again, they had to have a lot of things go right for them. And, Lamar Jackson getting hurt, and and in this, in this murderer's row of the AFC quarterbacks, it's impossible to right. see a path through for a team that doesn't have high level quarterback play. And, like, yes, if Derrick Henry is healthy all season and is vintage Derrick Henry, there are things that they can do that other teams can't do because of that. But, again, you need both things to go right, and then only to be able to come up short ultimately in the end when you need to be able to have your quarterback beat another team. Um, The report yesterday was—this started with Mary Kay Cabot, who covers the Browns for the Cleveland Plain Dealer, who said uh, Deshaun Watson still wants DeAndre Hopkins, but it's a long shot. No free agent visit to the Browns is scheduled and they're not looking to add a big name receiver. Which is weird, right? Like that like, why wouldn't if you're the Cleveland Browns, why would you not be in on DeAndre Hopkins? Other than you just and I don't know enough about their cap situation like you just say the cost is too like we couldn't possibly make it work from a cap standpoint. Joe Anderson from CBS retweeted that and said, "Correct. DeAndre will still find a home." But in Cleveland, it would take a change in team circumstances and or a change in initial contract expectations, which suggests that
1: he'd need to take a discount
0: because Cleveland's saying that financially we just can't do it. As stated in the podcast, I guess that's what she's referring to her own podcast, per sources, my understanding is Baltimore will monitor his free agency. Other info is there, too. Now, I did not listen to Josina Anderson's podcast, so I'm not going to pretend. I, I'm sure it is very valuable information, and I appreciate that. I'm just, I don't have the hours in a day, and I, I can't assign Griffin to spend time listening to Josina Anderson's podcast. But if it's valuable information about, then I, I wish I knew it. Um, Baltimore will monitor his free agency, in a way, is saying nothing. And she kind of reiterated that because uh, our, our buddy Hoodie Ramey, sent out a tweet that said, Baltimore will monitor DeAndre Hopkins' free agency situation per Josina Anderson, which she then retweeted and said, this is the job of any NFL front office on any free agent in all market conditions, which is a given. So then you're saying nothing? (laughs) You were the one that said it. What are you saying? And I'm not trying to take shots at Josina Anderson, but this is very weird. Why did you feel the need to include this in your first tweet if then when someone retweeted it, you were going to say, Which is basically nothing. (laughs) Well, you didn't. You said it. (laughs) Like Ramey didn't say it. You said it. (laughs) You said Baltimore will monitor his free agency. Okay. Well, are you just saying that you could have put that in for any team?
1: Washington, like
0: Washington, will monitor monitor his free agency. Buffalo will monitor his free agency. New England will monitor his free agency. Like you could have just said all teams will monitor his free agency. You didn't. You said Baltimore will monitor his free agency. So what are you saying? And it feels like one of those situations where she, this is what I can tell you from reporting, she poked around and somebody said, yeah, I think Baltimore might be in play.
1: And but, it was like, that but, was it though. But
0: maybe didn't get a response from Eric DaCosta or maybe didn't get a response from DeAndre Hopkins' camp. But they had definitely had word. So she felt like she had something and didn't know exactly how to word it. So she worded it in the least like the connected as way
1: tr- as neutral as the she could. The most ambiguous yeah. way she
0: could possibly word it is well they're going to monitor his free agency. Uh, okay. It's like you're not wrong. Yeah. Right. Like you kind of can't be wrong about that. <laughs> like imagine I don't think there's any way for Baltimore to be able to deny that. Like if somebody said if you know if Eric DaCosta was Someone, walking out on the street today. Yeah, it's going to ask yeah, well, yeah correct it's he's funny. like wait deandre hopkins is a free agent? Right. I, I don't <laughs> know if you saw this but morgan adds it was standing outside the facility the other day uh when the ravens uh, hosted a, a a public or a, a media a, a, ota availability whatever yeah, yeah. and I, I guess john harbaugh was walking out to his car at the same time that morgan was doing a live hit on the news and she was like D- do you want to come over and stand with me during this live hit on the news and it, it's, John would never do that in, in season. And by the way, the Ravens would lose their minds. They might still have lost their minds. I don't know, in, unless one of them was out there. Um, but he was like, okay, fine. And, you know, it's, there's, there's no game to prepare for right now. There's nothing. So he stood and did three minutes with Morgan Adsit um, outside the facility. But in that situation, if Morgan Adsit said, hey, Josina Anderson reported that you guys are monitoring DeAndre Hopkins he He couldn't possibly deny that yeah, he'd be like, well, yeah, right <laughs> like you know we 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 always you know whenever there's a player that's available, we do do our we do our dil, due diligence on them, like you can't how could you possibly deny that, whereas she said the ravens are interested in DeAndre Hopkins, then he would be able to you know he would say, well, I, you know, I don't know if I'm willing to go there like we're we're taking a look at it, so I don't know what to make of it it's a long way of me saying this is a very weird. Addition to the DeAndre Hopkins conversation. For what it's worth, the Browns do have three million dollars
1: more in cap space available. They have about fifteen million. Very weird. Ravens have twelve. Why
0: in the world would the Browns not be interested in DeAndre yeah. Hopkins?
1: It, that is about as weird as it gets, right? And the teams that you hear, the Bills have five million, the Chiefs have in, a million. You've
0: gone completely all in—a historic all in—more than anyone else in the history of football on a quarterback. They have you have decent pass catchers at your disposal like it's not like they have, the browns have nothing but in a murderer's row it's it don't compare why wouldn't the browns be in now maybe they're playing poker right maybe they're they're playing a long con here and trying to throw off the scent but you're you're really so committed to elijah moore that you wouldn't go try to get deandre hopkins I mean, like, I, I, I can see where the Browns internally would say something similar to what I'm talking about with the Ravens and the decision they have to make. The Browns, already Adamari Cooper, Donovan Peoples Jones has been a promising player for them. They drafted Cedric Tillman fairly early, clearly not as early as Zay Flowers, and they traded for Elijah Moore. So I could see where they would be a little bit split on, but. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. DeAndre Hopkins, working with the quarterback that he worked why wouldn't the Browns be in on that? Befuddled by it. I, I, utterly befuddled by that. And even more so befuddled by what to make of Josina Anderson saying the Ravens will monitor his – like, what? Okay? Like, Yes? But what does that mean? She clearly felt the need to include the Ravens and to single out the Ravens in the DeAndre Hopkins conversation, but yet not say anything of substance about whether or not they're actually in on DeAndre Hopkins. But other than that, it's we've got all of the answers, and we completely understand what's going on. Our number one of today's show is in the books. We have less than a week remaining in this contest that we have for you at PressBoxOnline.com slash contests, where you can check out all of the area's minor league teams. Plus, we're going to help you get around by throwing in a $25 Easy Pass Maryland on-the-go transponder and a $50 gas card from Royal Farms. you got to go to PressBoxOnline.com slash contests in order to enter. Six days left in the contest. Six days remaining For you to get signed up must be 18 or older. And one of the teams that you'd be able to go see is the Bowie Bay Sox, and it's time for us to make our weekly trip to Bowie. And most of these trips involve us chatting with a player or a coach, somebody like that, but we thought it was an appropriate time this morning to catch up with the play-by-play voice of the Bowie Bay Sox. He is Matt Sabatis, and he is with us now once again here on GCR. Matt, it's Glenn. It's always good to catch up, man. Thank you for taking the time for us.
8: Absolutely, Glenn. Thanks for having me
0: on, Matt. Before we get to the guys that are there, you know, we got to start with the guy that just left, right? <laughs> like that's the way oh, yeah. that it works. Um, the Heston Kerstad story to me is is truly shaping up to be maybe one of the better stories in modern baseball history because I think most of us had gotten to a point where we genuinely kind of believed that there was just not going to be a, a Heston Kerstad baseball story, and to see not only him return. But him to return and be this guy is, is truly incredible to me that we have gone kind of full circle back to the point where I think there's every reason to believe that this is a, a legitimate major league middle of the order bat that could be on his way by next season.
8: No, I, I I absolutely can see that happening. He's at this point kind of following a similar path to to what Gunnar Henderson did. He got called up just before the the first full series of June, just like Gunnar did last season, going from Bowie to Triple A Norfolk. It's a shame that he hasn't gotten to make his his Triple A debut yet because of the postponements right. that Norfolk has had to go through with that that smoke from the Canadian wildfires. But. I tell you, I don't think he he had been playing with a potential chip on his shoulder based on on mindsets like that because of all of the time spent off that he had been kind of falling a little bit behind in the conversation. But I think just in general, he's an intently focused person. And that's obviously why he was picked second overall. It it made sense to to find a guy with that sort of, of drive to push quickly through the the minor leagues and he's shown that even throughout the the long delay into his start as a professional he didn't really lose any of his actual development and that's a credit to him and that's a credit to the Orioles to make sure that they were with him throughout the entire process even if he wasn't playing in live games and I, I tell you his his intensity and his focus especially when it comes to game time is very fun to see and and i just look forward to seeing once it finally happens how right. it's going to to work at triple a once uh once everyone can be you know safe enough to play of course
0: obviously it's a bummer for you guys because it didn't hurt for everyone to, to come out to the ballpark to watch Aston Kirstead for a little while but this is the nature of minor league baseball this is the way that it yeah. goes um so let's talk about a couple of guys that are that are still there obviously and the one whose numbers jump off the page and again, given all of the glut of infield prospects the Orioles have had, some of which have already gotten here, you mentioned Gunner, Jordan Westberg appears to be right on the cusp, I I, I think, and then you have Jackson Holiday behind all of this, I think it's easy to miss Cesar Prieto, but oh, yeah. holy hell, what has gotten into this dude, and is, is this real, I guess is the question that I'm talking about, like how... This is the hitting's three sixty three at this point of the season, almost at any level, but at double A is it's pure insanity. Is this real? What we're seeing from Cesar Prieto?
8: Well, I think part of it too is the fact that he can fall under the radar since he's an international guy, and, right. and the Orioles are starting to really work on rebuilding their their international talent pool, and. Prieto has been at the forefront of that, and what, what's what been working well for him, I think, is just a lot of experience at this level now because he had started last year with high A, got up to double A about a little bit before the midway point of the season, and overall, while he did have good plate discipline and a, and a good ability to protect the zone in that, that first set of games with, with Bowie last year, you get that development, and you really come through on what's essentially your first full year in the books at the minor league level then or at the uh the double A, i guess it is the minor league level for him too since last right. year was his first pro year uh when you get through that first full season, the, the comfort level really starts to set in, and i i've I've been blown away just just as well as you guys have by watching how well. He can just put his bat anywhere on the strike zone and make clean contact on it. We're, we're past game number 50 of the season and Pareto just barely has passed double digit strikeouts in the air and he still has more walks than strikeouts. He leads the, he leads the league with 70 hits in I think 49 games played. The guy is just a contact machine, had his seventh, Three hit game of the season yesterday. If he just wants to put it in play, he will. I was joking with the manager the other day that I think it was uh, not this past Saturday, but the Saturday prior. He he had swung and missed at a pitch, and I freaked out on air that that happened because he literally doesn't do that. And and Kyle Moore, our manager, said the exact same thing. He said, "Wait, wait what what just happened? Cesar swung and missed at a pitch. It the guy just." sees the ball better than anyone out there and it leads to just so much traffic on the base paths and so much of a headache for opposing pitchers it's so fun
0: what should we know about him as a defensive player right like the the numbers obviously offensively are popping but i know he's been splitting time playing both second and short this season has he established himself as a high level defensive player at one or the other like what 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 should we know about the other side of his game
8: so from what i understand i think uh when he was growing up and while he was playing in Cuba, he was mostly working as a shortstop, uh, but the Orioles were using him a lot at third base when he was with Bowie last season. And they're trying to get him more reps at second base this season. So that's why he's basically taken half of his reps there, but with the way that the infield has has kind of had to shuffle just based on necessity for the, the Orioles minor leagues this season, he has had to take in more reps at shortstop than he may have originally thought that he would have taken either way. He is a very, very strong defender, and it was a very short adjustment period for him at second base on the right side of the infield like that. It may be like two weeks before April was even out. He was looking like a very competent, strong second baseman, and I tell you, he has some incredible range and great timing on his first jump from the, the ball hitting the bat. He can always go for the lead runner, too. Just about every time he's having to play a ball, even against his momentum from second base, he can turn around and quickly throw it to second. It's almost always been on target. I think he has fewer than five errors at second this season. It's been so strong to watch him, but the Orioles also think he's strong at third base, too. And that's, that's the fun thing, is that I know there's a lot of quality infield talent in the minor leagues right now, and obviously at the major leagues too, after Gunnar had gotten called up, but Cesar holds his own and is probably on par with just about everyone else in the organization at this point. As, did, the fact that he can do it at three positions is just as great.
0: Did I see that he hopped up on uh, Baseball America's Top 100 Prospects, that, that that he showed up on that list? This, I got to double check on that. I know that I I've it. I've got to too actually because I I got
8: the email the other yeah. day and uh, didn't didn't get to to read too much of it.
0: Yeah, I, I you know what I meant to do that. I meant to get into it today. I completely forgot, and no, I just I put you on the spot, and I apologize. That wasn't the plan. No, no, that, no, that's no, not yeah. your job. <laughs> no, I mean
8: it makes it makes me feel better that right. you got it and you didn't. Oh check no
0: I'm like and and it's I always and I always try to do that, and I just utterly forgot. Matt Sabatis is with us, play by play voice of the Bowie Bay Sox here on GCR. Matt, I think the other the other guy that you know that that jumps off the page at everybody that's still there, of course, is Kobe Mayo. And I know the strikeout numbers are a little bit elevated this season, and it's not you know certainly there's nothing about his numbers that's like blowing away or jumps off the page the way that Prieto's numbers. But it really does feel like the story to me, and you can tell me from watching every day, is that he's backing everything up. That he, It seems like it's really that he is just continuing on the path of what the Orioles believe Kobe Mayo was, was capable of being. And while maybe he's not dominating the level, he is playing well enough that like, it's every reason to believe that the trajectory is quite, very much still there when it comes to where his talent is.
8: Yeah, I think that's a very fair assessment. And you've got to consider his age, too, being a high school draftee. And the fact is is that they also want him to get a lot more looks at third base. He's been taking on a new position a lot this season. And after an adjustment period of about four or five weeks, he's really shown some great play. I think it was about three weeks ago the the team had made a trip up to Akron. And I remember him saying that the I think the first ball hit into play in that game was right to him. He made a good grab on it on two hops and threw to first. And he said to himself, OK, this is it. I'm going to be good for the rest of the series. We're locked in. And he was. And he's pretty much been great the rest of the season. He, he's squaring up the balls properly, getting good jumps, and he's made a couple of uh, leaping catches on line drives. A couple okay. of them came his way last night when we were in Erie. But offensively, yeah, I, I think it's just all about uh, the, the strikeouts as they are aren't – too damaging at the moment especially with the power that he is able to show because i tell you he's got some very plus power and i the way he swings the bat the violence that he brings through the zone is so fun to watch especially when he can make the contact on the ball it's just all about maybe getting if he could share some of his contact or if cesar Pareto could share some of his contact with kobe mayo imagine the damage that those two would do in tandem but either way i Again, you've got to consider Kobe Mayo's age into the fact that I, I do think he is progressing just pretty much on, on the linear path up through the minor leagues at this level. He's doing well.
0: Before we get to the pitchers, tell me, is there somebody else that maybe is not the name you know, of, of other guys when it comes to position players that you would say, hey, from watching them, I'm starting to think there's something here. I'm starting to think that they might have something in this guy that perhaps you know, the average Orioles fan doesn't know as much about.
8: I tell you, I liked uh, two guys: John Rhodes and T. T. Bowens. Okay. Rhodes is on a I think twenty-two game on base streak right now. He's been doing it very quietly, but did pick up three hits the other day on a Tuesday, I want to say. And part of uh, a part of a very brief injury list stint, I think, uh, kind of led into to that flying under the radar. But he's been doing very well in the outfield. Hasn't really had much issue when it comes to to roaming right and left usually it's Zach Watson and Dante Williams in center these days and then T.T. Bowens he came up after starting the year with a a brief injury that kept him off of the opening day roster when uh, I believe he was supposed to be on the buoy opening day roster and instantly started hitting well he's uh, still above 300 right now over three weeks at the moment and he's got some great speed on the base paths and I tell you, he's he's just got some some quick bat speed and some great contact. I, I I'm really looking forward to see how the the season progresses for him as we get into his first full month.
0: I think the two pitching names that are most interesting, unfortunately, from again from a number standpoint, and this is where you can tell me if I'm wrong. From a number standpoint, yeah. it seems like Chase McDermott is is really proving something, and and looks like you know he's very much on the way. Whereas numbers wise, it doesn't look the same way for Cade Povich two guys the Orioles acquired a year ago as they try to restock the system there is of course the conception that the Orioles just don't have the pitching within the system um can you take me through those two guys and what you've seen from both of them this season
8: it can be it can be a little similar to both of them that they've got good fastballs and good off-speed stuff but sometimes the issue comes down to the location of the off-speed and that that's a problem for just about any pitcher that gets up to double A because when you're working in high A, a lot of times you're, you're breaking pitches, your off-speed stuff can really move out of the zone and fool the batters enough that they're going to swing and miss more often than not. But when you get to double A, guys are more selective and they'll watch that breaking ball move out of the zone and take it for a ball. And there was a stretch where that was really hurting Kay Povich or not Kay Povich, Chase McDermott, my mistake. Mm-hmm. There was a stretch where that was really hurting Chase McDermott, where he had walked, I think, uh, 15 batters in a, 14 and two thirds inning span. But in that same span, he had allowed only three runs and three hits, including a no hitter. He had thrown five innings of a no hitter, and he did walk four in that outing, but you know, it was still a no-hitter, so it was still a good day. Mm-hmm. His last start was very strong. It did take a career-high 94 pitches for him, but he was able to pick up the win for the Bay Sox thanks to only one run allowed early. And I, I think the, the Bay Sox are starting to push a little bit more in the Orioles as an organization because, obviously, the oversight there. I think they're pushing a little bit more on just maybe tightening it up on the zone just a little bit. If there is contact, there is contact. But you've got the stuff that can break the way that it breaks to make sure that you are going to get a swing and miss, but you want to get a little bit closer to the zone. So guys actually chase after it. And I think the same can be said about Kate Povich because his last start took him 71 pitches through the first three innings. And that's, you look at that on face value and yeah, you'll say that it does really take a long time to get through something like that. And a lot of times it's because they'll start ahead. 0 and two, one and two, but then usually run it full. And then uh, we'll see a foul ball here or there, plate appearances lasting six, seven pitches routinely. And you just need to see that shorten up. And I feel like that just comes with more experience because, remember, both of them got called up to AA for the first time only about two weeks after they had each gotten traded over at the deadline. So they're still only about five months into to their double A career. Not even four four months and some change into their double A career. So there's still there's still that adjustment period, especially when you mix in an off season between that, that I think they'll definitely uh build into it a little bit more and have very strong second halves.
0: Alright, and I'm gonna put in a request now that maybe the next guy we catch up with, because his numbers talk about exploding off the page. Um what's going on with Justin Armbruster this season? Like what what has gotten into him and how legitimate should we we think that this is becoming now for him as a prospect in this system?
8: Well, similar to kind of what I was talking about with uh, what McDermott was trying to do a little bit more in his last start, Armbruster's been doing it a lot this season, and that's just attacking the zone. He's he's placing his pitches uh, more routinely on the edges of the strike zone. His breaking stuff does may not move as much as, uh, say, McDermott's or Povich's. Povich has a... a lime 12 six curveball and it's difficult for anyone on the staff to replicate that at least that's my opinion but while the breaking stuff for arm Brewster may not be as devastating and hard moving as some of the other uh, arms in the in the rotation it still works so well on the edges of the zone that he gets a lot of weak contact so his strikeout numbers aren't up to par currently with Cade povich or chase mcdermott but his contact the weak contact that he's drawing has allowed him to go long in just about all of his outings and he's been able to silence bats, silence bats in the the best way possible while keeping them to that weak contact just about every single time he's he's climbed the hill he's actually going tonight so i'm i'm interested to see how he'll perform against a strong offense because erie they can they can really hammer the ball i think they're averaging near six runs a game right now and they had put on a uh, seven last night. It, it was a uh, it was a scary game for Bowie, but they eventually won. So we'll see what uh, what Arm Brewster can do today with uh, with the windy conditions we always see up here in Erie, Pennsylvania.
0: Bay Sox, as uh, of course Matt just mentioned, in Erie right now. Back home on Tuesday night. Uh, lots of great events coming up next week, including if you're a hockey fan, a fun uh, Capitals night planned for next Friday. Anything in particular that that you guys have coming up that you want to plug, Matt? It's-
8: we got a Father's Day barbecue on Sunday. You can play uh, catch on the field as well, so definitely uh, get out for that one. We've got two more bobbleheads coming up later in the season. The next one isn't going to be until July, however. It is a Connor Norby bobblehead, so... Be sure to, to get online to basebox.com and uh, check out the tickets for that one. We've got all the promotions listed there, so you can find that one and the Colton Cowser bobblehead later in August. Should be a, a very fun rest of June and start of July this season.
0: Sabatis Sports on Twitter. That's S-A-B-A-D-O-S Sports on Twitter is how you follow him. Matt, appreciate you, man. Uh, always good to catch you up. Thank you for spending the time with us this morning. Totally. Thanks for having me on. That's Matt Sabatis, play-by-play voice of the Bowie Bay Sox with us here on GCR. Uh, good to do that a uh, couple times a year and uh, sort of get caught up on everything that's going on uh, with the team and without that, or throughout the organization. Uh, Stan the Fan Charles, Ross Grimsley. No, actually, there was no Ross this week. It was Stan and Luke on Monday. If you missed that, facebook.com slash Pressbox click on the videos tab. And then tonight, Stan, Gary, and Pat Scary. Towson Basketball Coach will be getting together. If you miss it live, you can find it youtube.com slash pressboxonline or pressboxonline.com slash video as well tomorrow. Speaking of basketball, Game 3 of the NBA Finals goes to the Denver Nuggets. Does that mean, you know, we're, we're right back to normalcy and they're just going to roll and maybe have this thing closed out by Monday? We'll talk about that next with Tony Massenberg right here on GCR.
7: Hey O's Superfans, Marvel Superhero Day is coming to Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Saturday, June 10th, when the O's play the Kansas City Royals at 4.05. Be one of the first 25,000 fans 15 and over at the game to receive an exclusive Adley Rutchman bobblehead inspired by Captain America. Come out to experience the Marvel Universe at Oriole Park and arrive early for Early Bird Saturday. Gates open two hours before first pitch with happy hour, live music, and more. Buy tickets now at orioles.com tickets.
5: What air conditioning company can save 50% of your energy cost and qualify you for up to $7,500 in rebates? A.J. Michaels. We do more, we do it better for less. In Baltimore and Annapolis, ajmichaels.com.
6: The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson looks at the pipeline of talent still to come for the Orioles, diving in on last year's number one pick, Jackson Holliday, and other top prospects like Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstad, Kobe Mayo, and more. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Orioles pitcher Kyle Gibson, and Bo Smolka breaks down what progress would mean for the team's 2022 draft picks in their second pro season. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm
4: The All-America Senior Game, powered by New Balance, will be back at Johns Hopkins Homewood Field on July 29th. The most decorated girls and boys lacrosse players in the country have been invited to play in what is the premier lacrosse event of the year. Every college coach wants their players in this game, and if you dream of being in this game, you start by trying out for one of your regional underclass teams this summer. The best against the best. Get your tickets now at allamericalacrosse.com.
6: Costas Inn has been serving up delicious steamed crabs for over 50 years. Lately, the crabs you want to eat when the weather warms up have gotten harder and harder to get, so get your crab-eating game plan in place. Make sure to stick this number on your fridge, 410-477-1975. Call ahead and reserve the size crabs you want. You may be able to walk in, but you may also be disappointed at the size or maybe even get shut out altogether. So call ahead, have a plan, and then arrive on your crab-eating vacation costas also has delicious crab soup and crab cakes the costas Inn at 4100 north point boulevard for more than 50 years they've been satisfying crab lovers in and around baltimore make the most out of every day in your
4: toyota rav4 available in hybrid or gas only models a rav4 can get you where you want to go in style check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new rav4s from
5: your local toyota dealer today Check out PressBoxOnline.com every day to find daily winners and betting advice from Jeremy Kahn. And if you want some advice about
0: life decisions that you probably shouldn't make, here's Glenn Clark. Hey, Dalvin Cook is officially on the market. Um, the Vikings have parted ways with Dalvin Cook this morning. Tom Pellicero, I believe, was the first to report it. or I don't know. One of these guys was. But um, he has been released Um yes they were looking to try to make a trade it didn't happen so he is available and to be had unlike the DeAndre Hopkins conversation there's just no warranted conversation to be had about Dalvin Cook and the Baltimore Ravens that would make absolutely zero sense whatsoever um so we kind of don't need to talk about it too much but as has been pointed out by a few people on Twitter this morning you, you know like what the, the fear is that he would end up signing with another AFC team that you might be competing against For a playoff spot, and that could really bolster that team, like, say, the Chiefs somehow. So, Dalvin Cook, officially on the market, was released by the Minnesota Vikings this morning. Obviously, a very prominent name, if nothing else. Last night in Miami, a throttling. The Nuggets take back not only momentum, but home court advantage and. I don't know, bring us maybe a dose of reality to what we expected in the NBA Finals as they absolutely whoop the Heat's butts. Joining us now to talk a little bit more about that, he is, of course, a longtime NBA player, Maryland standout. The great Tony Massenberg is back with us here on GCR. Tony, it's Glenn. It's always great to catch up, brother. Thank you for taking the time for us.
9: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: Tony, it felt like the cleat of reality last night, right? Like, it felt like, yeah, that was weird what happened in game two, but, I, you know, we talked to Walt about it yesterday. I think there was every reason to still believe that the Nuggets were the superior team, and if they could just make some shots and, you know, Nicola distributing the ball a little bit more, I, I, that felt more like, hey, I, I just I sort of think that it's we know at this point the Nuggets are definitively a better team than the Heat are.
9: Well, I've always felt like they were the better team. I, um, at the same time, I have to give Miami credit for their, their grit and their toughness. And while some people actually went so far as ridiculous sweep, I had Denver winning this in six games. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Miami can win one more somewhere along the way, but I've always said that I thought Denver was the better team. They're the bigger team. They're the more athletic team. They have more talent. Um, and, and to me, a lot of this just speaks to the culture of the Miami Heat and the fact that they have essentially willed themselves right. into being the East Conference final champion and finding themselves in the championship round here with a roster that to me is not as talented as, as a you know couple of teams in the league, let alone the Denver Nuggets.
0: Is there anything Miami can do at this point to change this versus like what we – Game two, it felt like the story in part was Denver just was missing shots, right? Like, they were, were getting looks against Miami's zone. They were just missing them. Is there anything Miami can do to change their reality, or does it require Denver just being off in order for them to have a path back into the series?
9: Uh, it, it requires a couple of things. It requires a defensive lapse uh, like we saw in from Denver. Uh where they're not closing out on Miami shooters, uh, where they allowed Miami to have several wide-open threes. It's one thing to hit a contested three. It's another thing for a guy to catch the ball and have time to set his feet and knock down the shot. And that's what happened um, in game two with Miami knocking shots down from deep. Uh, That was a breakdown defensively by the Denver Nuggets, while at the same time the Miami Heat made shots from long range. So when you talk about what the Miami Heat can do to to change the series uh, in their favor, have to shoot the ball unbelievably well and consistently from the three-point line, which is not something I think they're actually built to do um, over a long stretch. And you have to have a defensive breakdown by the Denver Nuggets because what happens is when Denver plays with the same force that Miami plays with on the defensive end, and you combine that with them having a size advantage and, and, and being more gifted offensively because they've got two of the best offensive players in the league and Jamal Murray and the Joker um, on their side, it's too much for Miami to overcome. And um, speaking of Jamal Murray, I also think that's another area where Miami can basically give themselves a chance to win. They're not going to stop uh, the Joker. Not a chance. They're not going to stop him. So you have to find a way to slow down Jamal Murray. If Jamal Murray is allowed to come out and get 30 points like he did last night, along with the Jokers' 30-point triple-double, both of these guys get triple-doubles with 30 points, there's no way that they can win because uh, even outside of these two, the Denver Nuggets have a better bench, uh, more productive bench overall. And, And the size advantage, I cannot stress that enough. When all things are equal as far as effort, um uh attacking the glass getting loose balls and then you throw in the talent and the size advantage for denver that's asking a lot for miami to overcome the only chance that miami has is that they have to shoot the basketball unbelievably well from deep to by those he
0: is tony massenberg he is with us here on glenn clark radio again game four will be on friday night of the nba finals Tony, I feel like what's starting to come into focus is trying to start to talk about Nikola Jokic's place in history, right? Like I I know we're we're still a ways away from that cuz he's an entire career, but this is a sport that like had passed by big men for a little while. And you know, it, it's certainly like it it's almost a seemingly a detriment at the college level to be a big man. Oh, you know, like if it, 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 Zach Eadie can't go to the NBA because there's not a role, Hunter Dickinson can't go to the NBA what do you make of what nikola jokic has done and and where he's starting to carve a place in like the history of this game among some of the greatest big men who have ever played the sport well, what
9: he is uh found a way to utilize his size in and, and what is now the new uh positionless nba um he's become a positionless player uh despite the fact that his physical measurements say that is a center by all accounts, 6'11", 280 pounds. That's a center, Uh, seven feet, whatever you want to call him. But he is a a big man um, who plays like a big man on the inside and has all the versatility and skill of any forward slash guard in the NBA. He's a guy that can shoot the basketball from three uh, like any forward in the NBA. He's a guy that can pass the basketball not just like a guard, but like a point guard, um, as good as as, as any guy in the NBA right now. And he's playing in a system that utilizes all of his skill set, which is passing, um, his ability to, 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 to initiate the offense, not just make great passes to guys from the post, but he can also initiate the offense from the top of the key. So when you look at the fact that he's bringing the basketball down, Um, once they take it out of bounds like a point guard, then he can then go to the block at certain uh, times like a center. He can also shoot the basketball from behind the three-point line like a forward. He is the first quintessential positionless big man that we have seen in the NBA. And, And he's doing things that we have never, ever seen a center be able to do on a consistent basis. We've seen guys like, tim duncan who i was fortunate enough to play with uh display a high level of versatility on the perimeter as well as be the guy that you run your offense through but we were running the offense through timmy uh from the inside because that's how the game was played during that era we're now seeing the joker initiate the offense like a point guard and also be a guy that you can run the offense through on the box so he checks all the boxes on the offensive side, as well as play like a big man when you talk about rebounding, scoring inside, and, and, and making a difference overall, um, being impactful over the course of the game because he's not limited in anything that he can do in, on the basketball
0: court. Is he truly a unit? Let me ask the question this way. We, we know that Weminyama is going to follow, but I, I think the comparison that's been made to Weminyama is more like Durant, that even for his size – he's more of a Durant type of player than he is a true big man. Can right. other guys, like, you know, it's, it's funny, like obviously we, we don't love Hunter Dickinson around here very much right now, right? Like, you know, what a jerk for not coming to Maryland. But there is an amount of like he can step out and shoot the ball and yet play inside. Like, can, can there be an era of this type of player that comes into the NBA in the future Or is Jokic truly just a unicorn? Like, we're just not going to see this. This is the only guy that is ever going to have this complete of a skill set.
9: I think what you will see is you'll start to see more bigs. You know, the end a lot of times runs. uh, When Steph Curry came in and started pulling up from, you know, 30, 35 feet on a regular basis, along with Clay Thompson. That changed the NBA, and, and the Warriors are, are responsible um, for teams stretching the floor, essentially changing the league where you know everybody is shooting three pointers, regardless if they should be shooting them or not. Right. not a lot of times, right? But they're emulating what the Warriors did because the NBA is trendy that way as as the game continues to evolve. What we're seeing with the with the Joker is another level of game evolving, and that's with the big man and you mentioned it earlier, uh because of the shooting, because of the basketball, it was almost starting to get to a point where the big man was about to be phased out um, but because we see a guy like the Joker, we understand just how important big man still can be. They just have to adapt to where the game is now, and I think as you continue to watch these young players in high school. Uh, start to develop uh, into you know, college players and, and, and hopefully pros, some of them, uh, you're going to see guys doing or attempting to do what we see the Joker do on a regular basis, which is be a positionless center. Um, that's something that – we it's new. It, it's, it's taken a while for people to accept that this is who he is and mm-hmm. this is what he can do on a consistent basis. Uh, he is a unicorn, and the way that he is singular right now, there is no real comparison. Uh, I played against a guy uh, named Arbitas Sabonis, sure. who I think was kind of the joke. Who was kind of the the blueprint for the Joker, mm-hmm. I believe, because he could shoot threes, and and Arbitis was a tremendous passer of the basketball. But again, a lot like Tim Duncan, he passed the ball from the post most of the time, and and he played like a big man, um, but he could stretch the floor out to the three point line. So the game is evolving, and and the Joker is, I'm going to say, the first one we seen to be able to consistently do it at a high level. But I believe guys uh, will continue to expand their games. Um, you look at Hunter Dickinson, you, you you mentioned him. He doesn't have the passing skill set, but the fact that he can shoot the basketball from the perimeter is a starting point uh, You know, for him to be something like the Joker. He's never going to be the Joker. But I'm talking about guys being in the mold of being able to be comfortable on the perimeter while at the same time doing big man things like blocking shots and rebounding. And uh, Victor uh, Wamayama, I think, will be one of those guys, but he he displays a skill level and an offensive uh, skill level in-, in particular that is similar to Kevin Durant when you talk about yeah. his ball handling and his ability to shoot.
0: Yeah, it just seems like more of a perimeter player. Certainly somebody's going to go to the basket, but more of a perimeter player, what we've seen so far. Right. And we'll see how that works in the NBA. By the way, nice problem to have, to have an ever-capable 7'2 perimeter player. Jesus, what a world we're living in. Well, uh, he's yeah.
9: actually Yeah. but yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, yeah. this guy's 7'5". I- I've watched him standing next to Rudy Gobert, yeah. who is a legitimate okay. 2 and he made him look like a shorty oh, <laughs> standing God. next to Rudy
0: Gobert. What a world, man! What a world we're living in. Hey, um, yeah, I, t- yeah, t- it's gonna be fun watching him, Tony. If I could, the the, the local connection for us here in Baltimore with the Nuggets, uh, Michael Malone, and I. And it's interesting, right? Wes Sunsell Jr. We had there was it, for a little while. It was almost like there was a a Baltimore Nuggets thing going on out there. But Michael Malone, who played collegiately at Loyola. I, it was interesting yesterday, I got into a conversation where early on in Eric Spolster's run, we did not give him credit, right? Like, if anything, we actually thought it was disappointing that he only won two titles with that group of players that he had. And we kind of just sort of dismissed him as only being along for the ride. And now, you know, here we are, you know, a decade and a half, two decades in, and we're starting to understand that Eric Spolster is really one of the great coaches of a generation um, and is right there. I feel like, in a way, Michael Malone is not getting a lot of credit because, you know, like he's kind of along for the ride, right? The story is Nicole Jokic. The story is Jamal Murray. What what credit does Michael Malone deserve for the success the Nuggets have found and what they have built in the last few years?
9: Well, he deserves as much credit as any championship coach Uh, when you talk about the fact that it's one thing to have talent. It's another thing to be able to put that talent in a position to win. And that takes time. It, it, you don't just snap your fingers and get a couple of great players and start winning championships. It takes time. Um, it, it, took, it took some time for Phil Jackson in Chicago to, to essentially get to the mountaintop with the GOAT and, and Michael Jordan. They had to assemble the right pieces around Michael Jordan. Uh, the same thing with the Lakers. Phil Jackson didn't win uh, the championship every single year that he had Kobe and Shaq but he did put them in a position to start winning once they got that first one. Uh, it, you know, the same can be said for, for, uh, you know, my all time favorite coach and Greg Popovich. Yep. It took some time to, to assemble the culture and the the pieces around Tim Duncan before they became a dynasty and started winning championships. And so I think you have to give Mike Malone uh, the, the same cushion that we've given these other great coaches in the beginning. People forget about, but it takes uh, to get to that level, and they forget about the road that, that, you know, these coaches have traveled. And right now, Michael Malone has been on that road. And because he's now gotten to, uh, you know, another compass you know, uh, he's won the West, and now he finds himself in the finals, and it looks like they're going to be able to get over the, you know, get over the mountaintop this year. Uh, he deserves credit. He made the right adjustments after that horrible game, too. He called his team out. Um, I love coaches who have the autonomy to to call out their team because, mm-hmm. you know, in the NBA culture nowadays, a lot of times it's risky for coaches uh, because we know teams will, you know, when things don't go well, you know, the coaches are going to get let go of before, you know, the players are moved. They don't move players, you know, over coaches. They move coaches over players. So uh, for him to be able to do that and have them respond, I think says a lot about him as a coach. And I think. Uh, you know, if they're able to pull this off, which I believe they will, he will start to get the respect on a consistent basis that he deserves.
0: Tony Massenberg, what all can I plug for you, my friend? I always I know Lessons from Lenny is so important to you, but what else can I plug for you?
9: Uh, that's really it right now. It's summertime. It's it's slow time for me. And, and, and you know, again, I'm just enjoying the, the playoffs and, and, and watching, you know, for some of the moves that may be made uh you know that'll impact some teams next year I'm I'm gearing up for the draft so uh you know right now it's, it's just that I'm I'm going to start my own podcast here cool uh in in the next month or so and I hope you guys will have me back
3: to uh you know,
9: publicize that a little bit so um uh, that's really it right now I'm just going to try to enjoy my summer and and see you know how much longer this series is going to go I was really hoping that the, that Denver didn't sweep Miami because I wanted to see a good series. Yeah. So uh, let's see if they can make an adjustment. But it's it's going to be tough for Miami right now, I
0: believe. No doubt. I think you're right about that. Uh, Tony, you know, always open invitation. We love you, and we always appreciate you taking the time for us. Thanks for hopping on with us this morning. Really enjoyed this, dude.
9: Oh, man, always. Thanks for having me.
0: Tony Massenberg from uh, NBC Sports Washington. Of course, longtime NBA vet with us here on GCR, Maryland Legend. I just, look, man, I get it. You know, we have, every time we write off Miami, every single time we write off Miami or dismiss Miami, they come back and surprise us. So I should know better than to just say, I think the Nuggets are going to win the next two games and they're going to win the series on Monday night, game five at home. But, man, it's just hard. It's hard to see it. it. It really does require the Nuggets conspiring to help Miami in order for them to win another game in the series. And they did, right? In, in game two, they conspired to help Miami in the process, take nothing away from Miami, and an incredible um, adjustment that Eric Spolster made to go to the zone when he did, but it also required Denver just missing shots. And then, by the way, they still managed to get it back to the point where they had a shot to tie the game at the end. They're just... They're the they're better. They're better. I don't think Miami can fix this on their own. I think it would require something going wrong for Denver to make this series interesting again. But, you know, again, we've written off Miami a few times. Right where we want to be. What do you mean right where we want to be? Me and my heat. Yeah. Oh, your heat. What what do you mean your heat? Where is that? I mean, it's just, what is that?
1: I'm rooting for the underdog.
0: Oh, oh right, because we made a bet on that. I forgot about this. We oh, made yeah, a bet about the series. That, yeah, why yes. in the world would you have ever made a bet on my end?
1: Because you got me in the good, and you got me at the right time. The like, show was what, winding down. What in the was world like, was that? Yeah, why We're, not? The dumbest thing. I've Let ever me make heard? it
0: more interesting. I guess we didn't put any money on it. So what the hell? Who really cares? <laughs> but like, why would you ever make that
1: bet? Well, I, I literally, as like, I I think I was like driving home, and I was like, God,
0: what? Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> like, what in the world? <laughs> Just saying things, like for like, the right sake of game, saying. What right is Grant Game point.
1: One tipped off? I was like, man, what?
0: Yeah, what, it, pretty silly. <laughs> like, okay, dude, like, if you, you want doing? Miami, by all means, you may have Miami. Well, it's
1: because I wanted Miami in seven.
0: Right. And but that the was problem is that involves Miami. <laughs> like that's winning three they, games. They have to win. To the, they have to win the series. In they have to win four in order for that to come out. And I don't think that was ever going to happen. Now again, look, things can change. Things can change um interesting you know we've been talking the last couple days about this again i uh i i I thought we thought that kevin might have been able to join us this morning but he's been a busy guy so i don't know maybe we'll do that next week with kevin van Valkenburg. um i got a personal request from josh charles to put kevin on um that's actually how josh came to the show years ago is kevin and i used to do a weekly segment on the old radio station and josh was like well it's the best it's the best segment in radio I was like, well, thank you. And so Josh stuck around after that, which I appreciate. He's my guy. So uh, when I was watching Spider-Man yesterday with the kids, mm, uh, good I, movie. I, I, it, it is a very good movie. The kids did not handle well the fact that it was a part one of two. Uh, see, I didn't handle that, that well either. That did was, not go well Even though I knew well it was going to be a part one. You know what's funny? Like, <laughs> I knew it, but I had forgotten that. And I was like, at the I end, had, I was like, come and on. And then I was just doing the math on like, how long the movie had been, and I was like, they're not they're not yeah this is oh wrap right up, Brett, is it right because it's part one of two and then i was like oh no because i had already dealt with the kids with like it was a bit more intense than the first spider the first spider verse movie was like there's just a little bit more and maybe or maybe because they were watching at home they didn't feel the intensity the mm-hmm. same way like there were some real like moments of tension in this film and like the kids were were jumping and antsy and they were talking and I had to shh them a lot because there were other people in the theater, right? Like, like there was, there was like a, don't do that. Like (laughs) there was a lot of that going on. I don't want to give anything away. Um, and then I was like, Oh God. And on top of all of this, they're not, it's the movie's not going to really end right. (laughs) Like on top of everything that we've already been through, it's just going to (laughs) stop. Like, and so there was a hilarious moment when the movie ends and like, it hits them. The movie hadn't really ended. It was just over. And they were confused by it. And I said, well, guys, you know, there's... And I pointed at the screen, like, when they showed... He's gonna like, return. Spider- ...Return and Beyond yeah. the Spider-Verse. And I swear to God, my, my, my God bless my six-year-old. It's just like, okay, well... Right now, like they're gonna,
1: they're gonna do, <laughs> we're going right into the other movie.
0: And I was like, Well, no, we, we, we couldn't do that because we'd be in the movie theater for five hours if that was the case. And he said, I want to do that. Tell them that they can go ahead because that's what I want to do. <laughs> I was like, Well, no, like, but it'll be, by the way, soon's doing a lot of work when I say it'll be soon. Yeah. It'll be soon. Doing a lot of work in that sentence because yeah. I have no idea when part two well, like, is coming out. Well, because
1: like, part, because this movie was supposed to come out, I think. Like, cause the first one came out in twenty eighteen. I think the was other it really twenty eighteen? Yeah, yeah. It was, was it five really? years ago? And uh, and so like this one was supposed to come out, I think like twenty twenty or something. And, yet, and yet, now yet, it's twenty twenty three. In canon,
0: and I'm using canon specifically because of it's it's a significant word in this film. Mm. Um, in canon, it's only like a year and a half removed from the right, first film, right. I believe. Like, is maybe not even that. I don't no, know. I think at one point he references. He said, like, oh, what have like I been? Fifteen months. Maybe what have I what have I been doing for the last? You know, year and a half, whatever he said. Like, it was yeah. something like that at the beginning of the movie. Um, anyway, so I was texting with Josh about it, and then I was texting with Kevin about it, and the whole thing. I saw this morning that, like, the assumption that Liv is just going away, according to um, Alan Shipnook of uh, Fire Pit Collective, who I think is also writing a book about this and has had a few tussles with Greg Norman, like, that's not how Live is operating. Like, they are operating like, no man... Whatever this looks like, it's very much with a full live tour next season. Like they are operating on the assumption of just free movement. Like players will just be able to play for whoever they want. Um, Got
1: it. So
0: I, I, I have no idea how that works. Or and the money will just
1: be the same for.
0: I, no idea. Okay. No clue. Okay. Right. Like, yeah. but they are operating as if like this isn't everybody just going over to the PGA Tour and the PGA Tour now encompassing some of the live concepts. Like they are operating as though there are still very much two different tours, and Live will exist and might still be weeks in which Live is running against the PJ. Like I, this is so insane. Like the, everything about this is so bloody insane. And, and you know, down to obviously, like, every I mean every element of it is so nuts. But I, and again, it's weird for me because I don't care about golf, so like I I don't none of this really affects me in any way. I'm interested because it's interesting, but I'm not actually concerned. Like, whatever they do will not impact my life in any form or fashion. But it's also been interesting seeing how golf fans have handled it, who's comfortable with just saying, yeah, I don't really care. I'm good with this. Like, I just want golfers to be playing against. I don't get caught up in in who's behind it. The other thing that was interesting to me is that Immediately after this happened, we saw two different reports. One, like, the WNBA commissioner, like, openly flirting with Saudi Arabia. Like, well, we maybe could go play games in Saudi Arabia. What? And then I, I, Albert Breer did a report where, like, he spoke to people in the NFL that said we, they absolutely believe absolutely. that Saudi Arabia could end up buying a team. I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna say something here. Like I, I wanted to retweet one of these yesterday and project a little bit further and say like, well yeah I mean sure yes El Chapo bought a team but like you know think about how it's gonna help grow the sport. Like I I
1: and
0: I I don't want to say it's a slippery slope because we've already gone past that. Like there is the part to me like if you're willing to just openly court. The country of Saudi Arabia, then what aren't you willing to do in the name of money? Like, it used to be that there was a point at which we'd say, Your money is not good here. Like, we would fundamentally shut people out. And again, our greed always feels like this should be the next concept of succession. They should do like a succession too. And it's just shifted from that, from corporate greed of comp- competing within the corporation to like the greed of. I'm willing to do anything. And by the way, they, I mean, obviously, they did flirt with it. Like, I couldn't. I was reading somebody's. I don't remember whose it was. Whether it was uh, the Atlantic, somebody like that, did a write up about um the the final episode of Succession. By the way, if you haven't watched, sorry, you've had weeks. This ain't, This is on you. And one of the sentences that was in this write up was when, like, they were talking about this this the decision that Shiv had to make and they like not Shiv and not in character they said obviously she knows that Matson would be a better company head than her brother and the only thing i could say is like what what are, are we out of it like you you know the things they told you that Matson had done he's a horrible person What are you talking about? But this is how much it seeped into our... There is no right or wrong anymore. I remember, it's part of the reason why I wanted to talk to Kevin about this, I remember in the infancy of the Live Tour, him retweeting someone, one of these dude bros, or maybe it was a bot, that was trying to make the false equivalency between Saudi Arabia and the United States, and saying, um, I'm not going to live with the argument of The good things and the bad things are all the same. Like, we have to be able to understand there is a good and a bad, but we've just lost that in this society. Like, it's why when you guys make fun of me for screaming and yelling about, like, Logan Paul or whatever, like, there needs to be certain things. We should be capable as humans of separating, like, you do this, you don't do this. You do good things, you do bad things. We should understand why we don't take selfies with O.J. Simpson at the airport. But we don't understand that. We're lost. We've given up. There is no good, no bad, no, it's just in the name of, of fame and money. That's all we have. And so, as furious as it would make me, undoubtedly, the NFL has to be sitting back and privately cheering this. Because now that it's happened in golf, they've got a pass. Well, why wouldn't we take the Saudi money? If golf can take it, why why wouldn't we? If it'll invest more money into our business, we've got a pass here. So the slippery slope is gone. Like it's gone. It's gonna happen. And and I mean this. Why wouldn't you take Mexican drug cartel money? Why wouldn't you, at this point, be willing to work with the people from Ozark? I, I'm asking, if you're willing to do anything in the name of money as a corporation, why not? Why would there be any standards anymore? It, the slippery slope no longer exists. We're there. We are showing over and over again we're willing to do anything. There's no one whose money isn't good here. Money is money wherever it came from. And we can just wash our hands of it after that. Like, well, whatever, you know.
1: So we, we're we not looking at Liv as, like, a failure, really? It's because
0: they, well, in, like— In what way? They now well, control the PGA.
1: They control the PGA? That's They, they
0: made the investment. Like, they're going to let Jay Monahan, you know, pretend that he's in charge— but they made the investment that it's abundantly clear. It's one of two things. It's either that they're making X amount of investment now because the PGA is trying to slow down. Like, hey, let's not let's not make it clear that you're running everything right now. Let's allow this to work for three years. Let people say, well, nothing's really changed. Everything's fine here. And then you can go ahead and take over the rest of it. Or... It's that they're making enough of an investment. That's how this came about. They, PJ is essentially capitulating to the idea of they've got more money. They can keep suing us. They can keep dragging it because they're always going to have more money. And this is essentially like succession taught us this. You got more money, you're going to win. You're going to win. You're going to get whatever you want. You want to take over another company, you're going to be able to do it because you're going to go in and say that company has a fiduciary responsibility to their investors in order to, to listen when you're trying to buy their company. Because you're making more money for them. This is... It's as much a, a partnership as is, is kind of a hostile takeover. Like, they've got more money, they win. That's the way it is. That's the arms race now. And, at, again, at a time, there would be a fight. At a time, we would say, you don't just get to have more money. Your money has to be the right money. We're not just going to do this. But... Once we've gone here, I don't know where we're not willing to go next. And and spare me. Spare me the, you know, the, you know all this hand wringing from you. You're clutching your pearls. So, I,
1: yeah, so as a consumer. I'm not
0: even clutching my pearls. I don't actually care about this. Golf can do whatever it wants. I will ignore it the exact same way today that I did yesterday. But how would you feel about the kingdom of Saudi Arabia purchasing the Baltimore Orioles? How would you feel about that? You might say, well, they got a bunch of money. <laughs> They're going to buy Shohei Otani, right? Right? But that's where we are. Like We're at this place where no one cares about anything. Why do you have to pay so much money for gas? I'm not, and by the way, that's the least of the trouble. I brought this up yesterday when we went into this rant. Like, I, I, I have so many problems with the kingdom. Like The Jamal Khashoggi thing, 9-11, the whole thing. But now, tell me every time I go to the gas pump why it is that I'm paying an extraordinary amount of money for gas and that we are always protecting the oil business, no matter who's in charge. It ain't a Republican, a Democrat thing, no matter what. We are always protecting that business. Is it helping me in any way? Or is it providing them an amount of money that allows them to then turn around and purchase teams? At some point, I'm not comfortable with it. No, does that mean I would stop being a fan? I, I'm not yeah. telling you that. Right, so that's like, like I, I. This is I understand. I understand that there are golf fans that are just like, dude, I just want to watch golf. I just, I don't care. I just want to watch golf. Man. And so
1: yeah, so what do we do? So if once they, I don't know,
0: know. This is why I thought our institutions could, should hold. That to yeah. me was the point of the the point of the country is our institutions were supposed to be the ones that would hold. Like once you become a force within that you should say, no, we don't do this. And it didn't start with golf. It actually, I think, would say with Saudi Arabia, it actually started with, of all things, professional wrestling, when the WWE was willing to take lots of money from the kingdom of Saudi Arabia to come over and host events there and do all those sorts of things. And all of a sudden, that was mainstream enough that other people were like, well, you know, if they're willing to do it, if they're getting their piece of the action, why shouldn't we? And even when Phil Mickelson, what was the quote about them being scary mfers? Even when he outright said that, n- everybody was like, "Yeah, yeah, well,
1: yeah, but he's getting two billion money. dollars. There's,
0: yeah. there's a lot of money. I mean, I'll, I'll do a lot of things." And it's where fiction meets fact, right? It's where what 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 the Bird family is willing to do for the drug cartel. You're reminded, like, boy, maybe I would be too. Maybe I'd like to think that I wouldn't do that. Like, maybe I'd like to think that I'd be above that, but, like, that's only because I haven't had the cho- the chance. It's only because I haven't had that opportunity presented to me. And if I did, eh, I mean, it's a lot of money. I take it. It's a very existential thing that I'm talking about. Yeah. It goes far beyond golf and far beyond sports. I understand. Like this is a very existential. I, I, this for whatever reason has bothered me a great deal because it does feel like we are walking into an era of this is just how it's going to be. Like these stories that we're seeing popping up in the last two days are. It's it's foreshadowing. These aren't reports. These aren't rumors. These are spoilers. It's coming. Soccer. It's already happened. It's and again. If it's going to happen, you hope that the people in Saudi Arabia are completely changing who it is that they are. But we are not that far removed. It's just not that we're you know only two decades removed from 9-11. It's that we're also only a couple of years removed from literally the dismemberment of Jamal Khashoggi. And that's, as I said yesterday, what we know about. That's what we know about. Yeah, but we're not so great. We do, we do things in America. I, I know you're not going to believe this. The United States government does not run the PGA Tour. Our institutions are supposed to work that we find out that someone involved with it is evil, we get rid of them. Now, I get it. We've kind of stopped caring about that in recent years. We take selfies with O.J. Simpson. We have stopped caring about good and bad.
1: I didn't take yourself. I'm
0: not saying you. I'm not looking at you. It's just that your thing, you know, reminded me that that's a thing that exists. But that our institutions are supposed to hold. We're not supposed to be a society of chaos. We're supposed to be capable of understanding good and evil. But we've lost. We have given up that in favor of money and fame because fame translates to money. And I can do my one-man army bit, and I can rant and rave about it, and all the rest of you can be like, okay, cool, but how many followers do they have on Instagram? But at some point, like, we were supposed to have institutions in order to protect from this type of stuff, and we've just given up. We have flatly said, meh. They got the money. They win. That's the end of it. And there's nowhere for it to not go from there. Bleak. It's like I'm predicting the yeah. demise of the world in the moment. Very bleak conversation.
1: We could do a fighting words express too, if you want. Uh, uh, all right, we can
0: t- we can do a quick version. I don't of don't I don't
1: have a you know a set intro yet. You
0: gotta get that no, done. I You've know. had weeks. This is not okay. You want to do the segment or not? Yeah, I do. All right. Here's the deal. Next week, you gotta have it in place, or the segment's killed. Okay. Understood. Understood. Next Thursday, you got everything ready to go. The correct. Imaging. Intr- okay. Everything done, or we're done. We're, we're giving up on it. All right. Right? All right. We'll briefly touch on fighting words when we come back in, then we'll get a tidbit and two bit of wrap up. Uh, today's show is also brought to you by your local Toyota dealer and buyatoyota.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. It's Glenn Clark Radio. <laughs>
6: The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson looks at the pipeline of talent still to come for the Orioles, diving in on last year's number one pick, Jackson Holliday, and other top prospects like Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstad, Kobe Mayo, and more. Also inside, Todd Karpovich profiles Orioles pitcher Kyle Gibson, and Bo Smolka breaks down what progress would mean for the team's 2022 draft picks in their second pro season. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm. Stores, and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at pressboxonline.com.
7: That first sip, that first bite.
5: What air conditioning company can save 50% of your energy cost and qualify you for up to $7,500 in rebates? A.J. Michaels. We do more. We do it better for less. In Baltimore and Annapolis, ajmichaels.com.
7: Hey O's superfans, Marvel Superhero Day is coming to Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Saturday, June 10th, when the O's play the Kansas City Royals at 4.05. Be one of the first 25,000 fans 15 and over at the game to receive an exclusive Adley Rutchman bobblehead inspired by Captain America. Come out to experience the Marvel Universe at Oriole Park and arrive early for Early Bird Saturday. Gates open two hours before first pitch with happy hour, live music, and more. Buy tickets now at orioles.com tickets.
5: If you miss anything on the show, don't forget that you can watch full episodes at youtube.com pressbox online. And you can download podcasts on Apple, iTunes, Amazon, and Grindr. Wait, did I say Grindr? I don't think that you would find it on Grindr. Not that I know what's on Grindr or anything, I-, I swear! Second thought, you know what?
0: I don't care what you think. Here's Glenn. All right, back in here on GCR. Today's show also brought to you by PressBoxOnline.com slash offers. PressBox is offering new sports bettors the best sign-up bonuses and promos from the seven legal online sports books. Go to PressBoxOnline.com slash offers right now and get offers like $150 in bonus bets from DraftKings after placing your first $10 bet or up to $1,250 in bonus bets from Caesars. Time is limited to get the best offers from all of the sports books. Go to pressboxonline.com slash offers and sign up today. Um, so let me be – I was asked just by my buddy James Wagner this morning, like, what are the likelihood that the Orioles even play this weekend? And it's a fair question, right? I They, they played the – they played, how many of the games they play in New York? They played the first game in New York this week, then they bailed on the second one.
1: Yeah, yesterday Philly and New York got postponed.
0: I mean, it certainly doesn't, it doesn't yeah. sound great. I just, it I guess. It doesn't look great. I guess the question, beca- I don't, you know what's really funny, like today as I look outside, like I see the same thing that everybody else is seeing, but it does not look like it looked in New York. No, yeah. Right, like in New York it looked apocalyptic. Today it just looks kind of hazy. Um, I don't know. I really don't know, because at some point it feels like Major League Baseball almost has to step in. Like if you're gonna be canceling multiple games in multiple cities, at some point, like the idea that you're just gonna be able to make all of these games up and play a ton of doubleheaders the rest of the way, like it almost feels like it would require like a pause to the season, adding a week on at the end of the like something significant if this is gonna continue through this weekend. And I don't know if there are rules to like what the air quality reading has to be in order for a game to be played. I I really I don't know enough about the topic to be able to address it but I get it like I'm planning on taking my kids to the game on Saturday. I bought tickets and
1: I was planning to go tomorrow night. You know
0: like I'm I'm sure my wife is going to at some point say something to me like tomorrow like are we sure that what's what we want them to do or should we send them wearing masks or something like that. And by the way that's not the end of the world to me. Like I the people that like made masks some sort of like <laughs> societal like evil doing. I mean my god. Mark of the devil. Jesus Christ! Am I talk about us having lost our way? Like I, I did think it was a bit over the top, but like there are some times when maybe masks make sense. But it wouldn't be the end of the world to me if somebody if somebody smarter than I said, yeah, it might it might help you to wear a mask. Now look, I don't know. I, I remember if it's hot, it's very uncomfortable wearing a mask. So like, I don't know what the answer is. But you know, like I'd listen because I'm an idiot and I I know that I'm an idiot unlike a lot of people in this world that have convinced themselves because they watch a a podcast that it means that they're a very smart person. Um I don't I don't have a feel for it. I really don't have a feel for what they're going to do. I I think they want to try to play baseball games. So, unless there's some air quality reading that there's like a rule in place for that if If it's this air quality or lower, then we refuse to play the games. I think they're going to do their best to try to play them. But it's a, you know, obviously it's a reasonable question given what's going on. Um, And I think it would require it literally being like the apocalyptic look of New York for the game to be canceled. But the fact that I didn't realize it was Philly, man. Philly canceled, Jesus. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, it's tough. It is, it is. Yeah. All right, let's get it. Hey, a lot. Of, what yeah. a fun day this has turned into. God, this is brutal, man. All right, uh, Fighting Words brought to you today by, uh, let's make this one brought to you by pressboxonline.com slash contests. Go right now, sign up to win four tickets to all of the area minor league teams. Pl- of course, John Colson comes in coughing just as we're talking about this. Comes in coughing just from being outside. Oh. Maybe they're not playing baseball in Baltimore yeah. this weekend. I don't know, dude. Thanks, John. I don't know. Just trying to convince myself that, like, yeah, it's not that bad.
1: It was a, it was a violent cough, too.
0: It really was, wasn't it? God, wretched, wretched. All right, um, anyway, pressboxonline.com slash contest. Four tickets to all of the area minor league teams, um, plus a $25 Easy Pass Maryland on-the-go transponder and a $50 gas card from Royal Farms. Only six days left to sign up. Pressboxonline.com/slash-contests is how you get registered. You must be 18 or older in order to enter.
1: An interesting weekend for the fighting world, as there are there are fights every night, like starting tonight through Sunday nights. However, they're not like really too all compelling, uh, even though it is a UFC pay per view. Um, I guess I'll start with tonight. So the PFL returns tonight for their like kind of second round of their regular season. Um, and so it's, it seems kind of notable since it'll be their first event since they signed Francis Ngannou. I'm not sure if they'll come out with. Any sort of announcement okay. or anything, but there are some good names like Brendan Laughlin, some former UFC guys, Marlon Marais, uh Bubba Jenkins was a national champion wrestler at Arizona State. Um, so a couple good names and that'll, that'll just be going pretty much all night starting at 6.30 uh, on ESPN. Um. So the PFL. I I don't. I don't care. But yeah. Okay. But if something about Francis comes out, I I, I, I think. I I think it's worth. As I said, then it's not enough
0: that I'm not going to start watching the PFL because Francis Ngannou's there. Like I'm just not. Yeah.
1: In the boxing world, Josh Taylor and Teofimo Lopez are in New York City Saturday nights. So the WBO uh, super lightweight belt. So that's a top ranked ESPN Plus event. Um, I think the main card starts at like 5 p.m. Um, which is kind of an interest, interesting start time. I think it's because Josh Taylor is he's defending his belt, and so since he's Scottish, they're trying to make it more primetimeish. ish okay. but it's still like one a.m. start time over there. So I'm not oh, really sure rough. why the yeah, five p.m. starts. Um, Floyd, or actually, so where before is that, it? where is the fight? It's in, uh, in New York City in, in MSG.
0: I don't think th- I, I let me double check on this. Or it's I like f- it's at like the Hulu Theater. Right. No, no, no. Where, I, yes. I, that's that's where I did see that, but I yes. feel like the actual main event is not the main event
1: will start closer to 8.
0: I want to say even like 9 or something oh, okay. like that. I'll double check on that.
1: Okay. Uh Adrian Broner, he's fighting tomorrow night. Right. That'll be that'll be a pay-per-view. He's fighting Bill Hutchinson as he I guess is still going to attempt to make a kind of a comeback. Well,
0: I, yeah. I, I don't that I don't know what to make of the Adrian Broner right. situation. I like I don't know that there's a a next level to that as much as like it's Adrian Broner. If you like Adrian Broner, you'll watch the fight mm-hmm. if not you won't. The Teofimo Lopez thing is interesting because is he still in the conversation for a bigger fight? Is there still a, poten- a potential for a mega fight involving Teovima Lopez later on in the year? And I don't know, right? Like, this this is clearly just his next fight. Yes. But could he get... Like, he is enough of a name value that could he get himself in that conversation for that type of fight down the road? We'll and he, see.
1: And he's a New York guy, so a lot, kind of a lot of pressure on Josh. Josh Taylor does come in as the favorite, though, um, to defend his belts. Mm-hmm. so... You know, a well, lot could be some movement there around and, and create some more big fight, And then
0: also in boxing. Uh, the s- ring walk is actually scheduled for 11 p.m. Really? What yes. was I looking at? So 5 it appears as though that might be the undercard starts at I 5. Guess, I guess that and then would have to the The main be the card is starting at 8 o'clock. Mm. Um, and then the ring walk, the main event ring walk is scheduled for 11.
1: That will be Saturday nights. Yes. Uh, on Sunday night, Floyd Mayweather Jr. Will be, f- will be boxing in an exhibition with John Gotti. John Gotti Third. Um so like for fifteen bucks you can watch that on the Zeus Network. And uh you know, it just kinda goes right into what we were talking yeah, about I, before. I'm, I'm good. You're good? You don't want to see I'm Floyd? Good. You don't wanna yeah. see Floyd in another exhibition against John Goddard. It Gotti. goes back
0: to what we were talking about. That the the, the good things there's not nothing difference between the good things and the bad things. Like no, 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 no. No, but in Spanish.
1: No. I, I didn't know you were bilingual. Yeah, correct. <laughs> Uh, and then UFC 289 is uh, going to be held in Vancouver on Saturday night. Uh, kind of a little bit of an underwhelming card. Yeah, I noticed that. Um, and it kind
0: of a little wel- underwhelming stretch for the UFC. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: They haven't been really thrown out the hottest. I mean, the, the biggest fight on the card, I mean, obviously, Amanda Nunez will be defending her This is her what title. happens when you run off all of your best fighters. Mm-hmm, Maybe exactly. this is what what you get. She'll be defending against Irene, Irene Aldana. Um, however, the biggest fight on the card is the co-main event, Charles Oliveira and uh, Benil Dariush, which was supposed to be the co-main for UFC. Newark last month, uh which I'm very disappointed didn't get to that, that one didn't play out and we didn't get to see. But should be still still be a really good fight. Um it, it, it it's kind of and, and really kind of not like like this is this is Canada's first card since before the pandemic, so like just kind okay. of really an underwhelming card for them to get. Like there's some there's I think there's like really only four or five Canadian fighters on the whole card. One, two, three, four. There are five Canadian fighters on the whole card, and I think half of them are underdogs. Actually, all of them. Ah, how about that? One, there's one, two favorites, two favorites. Okay. Uh, uh, Canadian favorites. Um, so just kind of very under underwhelming for them. I mean, Emmanuel Nunez. I mean, she's the greatest women's fighter, mm-hmm. MMA, MMA mixed martial artist of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of, and, and in that sense, but that like, makes it difficult she has else it's, prov- it's
0: difficult to believe that Aldana has an opportunity to beat her. Although we didn't, didn't we just feel this with Sevchenko. That's Correct, like that's what I was going to
1: add in is that you know she probably she's like a minus three hundred, and she's minus three twenty right now to yeah. win, and I don't think I can put her on my parlays though, just because after what happened to Val- Valentina. Yeah. She's not really fighting. She really has nothing else to prove. She's beaten everyone. Right, She's I hear beaten you. everyone. I and uh in that in that sense it can be kind of compelling if you think Aldana Aldana can win, but it's like Aldana's not the person. Although I was kinda of saying the same thing about Alexa Grasso against Valentina Shevchenko mm-hmm. a couple months ago. Um but yeah, the real the real I think the real Main event, I mean, you know, just because Amanda Nunez has been so dominant that there's almost less of a draw for her at this point. As uh, Charles Oliveira and Benil Dariush, as whoever wins that, really throws himself right back in that lightweight uh, title title challenger with Islam Makachev and see where they want to go, see where the UFC wants to go from there. I think Dustin Poirier should probably be up next, Okay, but it's kind of this is just kind of the depth of the lightweight division is that there's like five or six guys you could really probably name and you wouldn't really be upset getting a shot at Islam. All right. Yeah. Very so good. So that is kind of the yeah, It's express. a weird weekend. It yeah, because there's fights every night that right, you can watch and be entertained not, by. Right, but it's just not nothing that's
0: like, like so significant that you feel like it's an event. Mm-hmm, it just sort really, of feels like if you're a hardcore, you'll be watching fights. You'll have plenty to watch. If you're not hardcore, it's n- it's difficult to If it's to be not hardcore, you'll tune
1: in Sunday night for Floyd Mayweather. Yeah,
0: that. Right. Sure. Jesus Christ. All right. Let's get a tidbit. Tidbit is brought to you today. By A.J. Michaels, expert and award-winning A.J. Michaels, heating, A.C., plumbing, and home performance will help you improve your home's energy, efficiency, and comfort levels. A.C. season is here. New rebates and discounts are available. More at AJMichaels.com.
1: Nikola Jokic, uh, he's incredible keeps doing things that we do not have that we've never seen i've before. heard he's good yeah him and jamal murray became the first pair of teammates in nba history this is regular season postseason nba finals first pair of teammates ever to each record a 30 point triple double in the same game i'm not
0: really time. surprised by that
1: uh it's also the first now 30- it did, didn't
0: it take like murray getting assist like he was still in the game with like a minute and, yeah, and a half to play yeah. in order to get that last assist well, which seemed a li- i like i oddly miami was back within like 10 at that point so like maybe but you couldn't needed, just empty the bench but it wasn't in but, yeah, yeah so, like <laughs> it was a little
1: odd first 30 20 10 so 30 points 20 rebounds 10 assists in NBA finals tonight is the third ever or it's the third 30 20 10 game of any kind uh as there've only been two others in postseason history uh but it's by uh
0: Abdul Jabbar and Chamberlain correct yeah. yes I think I saw that guys. floating. No, oh, you around did see that one. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't many. know that, but I think I saw that floating. Around
1: this is, last is the first night. one that has been done in the NBA Finals, and Jokic did it last night. Also, became the fifth player ever to have 100 points in the first three games of his NBA Finals debut. He joins. I guess I'll just give it to you,
0: Rick Barry. Ah, the great Rick Barry. Yes, Allen uh, Iverson was, uh, I believe, a former roommate of Johnny Holliday's. Was he really? Yes. Wow.
1: Uh, Allen Iverson, Willis-Reed, and Giannis in 2021. So the first players to score 100 points or more in their first three finals games. And moving into baseball, Ellie De La Cruz, three hits over his first two games. um, Three extra base hits, I should say. He's the fifth youngest player in the last 40 seasons with three extra base hits over his first two career games and the youngest to do so since this Oriole. Say it again. First, uh, okay, so fifth youngest player in the Mm -hmm. last 40 years have three extra base hits in Mm -hmm. his first two career games. In his
0: first two career games, Mm -hmm. Manny Machado. Manny
1: Machado in 2012. He is the youngest. Because in in his
0: second game, game, he hit the two home runs. Mm -hmm. Yes.
1: Uh, Starling Castro in 2010 at 20 years old also had three extra base hits. That's uh,
0: Frederick, uh, Atlantic League superstar, Starling Castro.
1: He's not a, they don't have a mascot yet. Still no mascot. No, they don't have a team name. Oh, yeah, okay. correct. They,
0: I mean, they're the <laughs> Frederick Atlantic League baseball uh, team. Uh, uh, Manny
1: Ramirez Scott is... out there, guy. What is? Oh, that's for me. Yeah. It's got lemons on
0: it. Well, that looks nice. It does. What is that? Where did, it, where did it come from? UPS. It came from. Oh, I know exactly what this is This is from John in Little Rock. He sent us oh, some potato nice. chips. Oh. I'm excited John. about this. Oh. Uh, I, I kind of want to try them now because I'm not going to be here tomorrow. Can we wait until Monday? I mean, you asking me? Yeah, we'll have to wait till Monday. Yeah, yeah, we'll wait till. Mm, yeah, I don't want to wait, wait till til Monday, Monday though. We'll do right I now. believe they're from the Come and Go, by the way, oh. which is what makes it even better. I believe he got them from the Come and Go. Ah, love you, buddy. Thank you for that. It's very kind. Uh, Man Ramirez. We'll try him grieve. on Monday.
1: Also, 21 years old when they had three extra base hits in their first two career games. Ellie De La Cruz joins that list, fifth youngest. I mean, he oh, hit a there. what a, a five foot foot, Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, bonkers. A, other one I want to do with Messi, obviously going to Inter Miami now. Mm-hmm. Miami prices. Inter Miami, uh, their their debut. Their what, was, what do I want to say? I guess opening kickoff would be their the their first game, July 21st. Their home game against Cruz Azul. Have they, Wait a
0: second. They've not played a home game yet.
1: Well, they're. I guess it's this is. Wh- I guess when they're looking at. For Messi's first debut with the club so would it, be July 21st. Okay, well,
0: that's different than their opening kickoff. Yeah. Like I mean, I okay, don't know what sorry. you're trying to – I'm still confused. As what the, His debut with the team. Yes. Okay.
1: And they're looking at July 21st would be okay, his debut. That's, that's – so tickets, that yeah. yeah. tickets were 100. Messi. Yeah. So yeah! See, I was setting it up. How about that? Tickets were $120 on uh, Tuesday, and they are now $375, so a 205% increase. Uh, in the, tickets, the ticket sales yeah, that makes once sense. once they decided, once they knew Messi was I
0: mean, that, back. That, look, that makes sense. I don't know what you're going to say. <laughs> that makes sense. That's logical. And b- by the way, it'll probably be like that for the rest of the year. But like, there have been stories of t- things like that. Dude, when Freddie Adu was with DC United, all of a sudden there was like a, a massive... And when that first summer with David Beckham, everywhere he went, everywhere he went, massive crowds. I mean, massive crowds. I believe... The Orioles were playing in D.C. against the Nationals, and we ran a bus trip down there, and then a few of us literally just hopped on the Metro and went over, and like they had to open up the upper deck at RFK Stadium um, because of the appeal of David Beckham coming to play in America. It was crazy. I mean... I mean, mean,
1: it's going to be insane. I completely get it. All right. So finally, Louisa Rise is chasing 400. His batting average in the team's first 61 games is, or I guess he got a couple couple more hits last night. So it's like 401 now. And uh, so he's actually ninth on this list now. So I'm looking at the top 10 guys with the highest batting average through 61 games. Since 1941. So Arise is ninth.
0: So you're telling me Roberto Alomar does not make the top 10? He ten does make the list. He does? Yeah, he's just now 10th on the list. Okay. So he
1: was like a half decimal point ahead was, of, uh, of Luis Arise. A, what a time that was. Yeah, to be so wild. Roberto Alomar in 1996 uh, batting 399.
0: Okay, well, I have no idea. Ted Williams.
1: Ted Williams is on the list twice yeah. 1941 and 1948. He was batting above 400.
0: So how many names are there total on the list?
1: So you have one, two. One two three six more, and that I have six more to get yes. beyond because okay. you have Arise Alomar Williams twice. Okay,
0: um, how about
1: how about George Brett? George Brett, not not no, That's George Brett, I know it is surprising. Stunning. he must have been lower in um, his first 60 because we're looking at the 61 games specifically here, okay. the first 61.
0: How about
1: uh, Tony Gwynn? Tony Gwynn in 1997
0: was batting 405. I'm kind of surprised Tony Gwynn is on. The list only once, if right. I'm being honest yeah. with you. Like I'm a little surprised. Ted Williams by the
1: only guy on there twice.
0: Ichiro. Ichiro not on this list. Mm. how far does this go back?
1: Nineteen forty one. Nineteen forty one. So nineteen forty eight will be the most will be the oldest name that you still have yet to get. Nineteen forty eight.
4: Nineteen
0: forty eight. Nineteen forty eight. I'm not sure that I'm gonna come up with that. Um Mickey Mantle? Not Mickey Mantle. 48, 48, 48. All right, let me try another way. How about Wade Boggs?
1: Not Wade Boggs. You want me to... Rod Carew. Rod Carew is on this list in 1983, was batting 411 through his his team's first 61 games. DiMaggio. Not DiMaggio. (sighs) I'll give you the team for the 48 guy, but I'll pretty much give it away. Will it? I think so. I mean, I. It was a St. Louis Cardinal.
0: Stan usual. Stan usual. Right. Right.
1: Yes. Give it away. yes. Batting it. 408. It Looking for the top three guys now, all batting 411 or better through their first season. Right, give 61 me some
0: because it's 1221 tonight. I got a meeting to be at at 1 Okay, 2008,
1: 1997, 1994. And we have a. Oh,
0: 94. Was that Larry Walker? Larry, it was not Larry Walker. Larry, Larry Walker. 97. Yeah, he was 97, 97. batting 416. Um, I was reminded of that. It was something that we did. We did a tidbit yesterday. I was reminded Larry Walker had a, a hell of a 97. Uh, I forgot he was MVP.
1: We've got a New York Yankee and an Atlanta Brave. New York,
0: Chipper Jones. Chipper Jones in 2008 was batting uh, four eighteen. Yeah, I do remember that now. And a 94. 94 New York. Who remembers who played for the Yankees in 94? <laughs> Paul O'Neill?
1: Paul O'Neill, indeed. He was batting four eleven in 1994. How about that? How about that? All course, right, sinking below inevitably.
0: Very yeah. good. Uh, the only one that I found, and this I, uh, there's no way to turn this into like a quiz of any sort. Um, the Royals, of course, are coming to town this weekend. I don't think that we will see our old friend Jordan Lyles. I think that, like, yeah, because he, he pitched, pitched yesterday, that that pitched, he would. Uh,
1: he's zero and ten. Yeah, Jordan
0: Lyles has made thirteen starts. This is from Rainy Jazierly, who's a longtime uh, Kansas City uh, writer. Poor Jordan Lyles. Uh, Jordan Lyles has made thirteen starts. Kansas City Royal. The Royals record in those thirteen starts is. 0 oh, 13. Oh, and 13. Yeah. It is the longest losing streaks in starts made by a specific pitcher in Royals history. Jordan Lyles is 0 and 10, making him just the second pitcher in the last 30 years to have an 0 and 10 record at any point in any season. You will never come up with it. It was in 2007. Anthony Reyes oh, was 0-10. Okay, yeah. I was
1: going to say Eric Bedard, because
0: why not? Yeah, right, why not? 0-10. <laughs>
1: that is wild, Jack. But I bet he's eating innings. <laughs> that's the case. He's got uh, like
0: at least five, probably, at least right? every single one. Less uh, Last week, to get this print issue of PressBox, the Pipeline Primer, uh, Jackson Holiday there on the cover. Get it before it's gone, Daddy Gone, the love is gone. Right now for free at your neighborhood Royal Farms. Any of the hundreds of locations around town where you find PressBox, read it all, pressboxonline.com. Orioles-Brewers coming up at 2 on Masson. Kyle Braddish, Colin Rea, the pitching matchup. If you happen to live – Ben in San Francisco, great news for you. You can watch it on MLB Network. And if you happen to live in Denver, same thing. TNT and TBS tonight for Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Final. The Panthers try to keep that series alive if they – Lose tonight. It's all but over. Although, of course, hockey is the one sport where it happens frequently. uh Teams coming down from back from down three zero. And the Golden-
1: finals, in the Stanley Cup finals, only happen
0: once. Yes, that yes. is true. That is true. Golden Knights Panthers game three tonight at eight. uh French Open first women's semifinal is in the books. Serena Sabalenka was struggling, but she ultimately gets past Mahova. Oh no! Wait, I know. Wait, what? Did she lose or did she retire? No. I just thought she was up by a break. What am I? What did I miss? Holy crap, Mahova came back. And we missed it. Oh my god. We my were tidbits were my tidbits on. were too good. Wow. I completely missed. That is stunning. So Sabalenko, who had been dominant, is out. Uh, that is crazy. Mahova on to the final. She will await the winner of it. Probably won't matter because of Igas wins. I mean, like Igas is gonna win the French Open. It's becoming Rafael Nadal like mm-hmm. with Shviantek. But Fiantek uh, and Haddad Maya is the second semifinal coming up on Tennis Channel and NBC and Peacock today um what else matters oh uh, johns hopkins playing game two of the division three college world series final they need to win this one it's right now on ncaa.com against lynchburg if they win that one they force a game three later today which will be for all the marbles all the rest of the baseball find at glennclarkradio.com who won game one of the women's college world series final oklahoma Oklahoma, Oklahoma, so they have a chance to close out the title tonight game two against florida state at 730 on espn uh, Amazon Prime, Vegas Aces, Connecticut Sun at 7. Golf Channel for round one of the PGA's Canadian Open. Not awkward at all. That's today at 3 o'clock. And uh, Access TV for Impact Impact Wrestling at 8. Anything non-sports-wise? Uh, there's one thing on Peacock. It's
1: called Based on a True Story, and it's uh, Kaylee Cuoco and Chris Messina. It, it looks like a ripoff of Only Murders in the Building, honestly, because they start a murder podcast. Huh. And uh, because there's like a murder in there, I, I actually already forget. But they, they there's a murder that uh, around their lives, and they decide to start a podcast to try and figure out the murder. Uh, also, yesterday was always Sunny and Philip Philly. Uh, yeah, I sixteen. I I,
0: they, by the way, thanks a lot for not being here, and not Sorry. sending me tubular. I so I literally, I meant, actually I did not tubular, know.
1: I had tubular like set up and sent or ready to send to you, and I just uh,
0: did I, not. On, I was like seeing the tweets last night. I'm like, son of a bitch. Now I had. On Wednesday, is my wife and I watch Master Chef, so right. I wasn't going to be able to watch it yesterday anyway. Hopefully, I'll be able to get to it tonight.
1: Also, yesterday, an Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary. It's just yeah, called I, Arnold. I do want to watch
0: that. Yes, yes. I do want to watch
1: it. Uh, and that will be it for the highlights. All right. Very good.
0: Thanks today to Tony Massenburg. Thanks to uh, Matt Sabatis from the Bay Sox. And thanks to Dan Duquette. We'll get all of that up in the Greatest Hits section of the... Oh, my God, it's so good. ...tab at glenclarkradio.com. Uh, I am going to be off tomorrow. We had a death in our family. Um, uh, very sad. Our, our cousins, My cousin's son, uh, Anthony, passed away. We are. It's stunning. I mean, it's really stunning. Young man... Um, just just awful. Um, so I'm going to be with them tonight and tomorrow, and I'll be back on when 105.7 on Sunday with Rita, and then I'll be back on Monday, but Stan and Griffin are going to hold down the fort, and I appreciate that tomorrow uh, so I can go be with my family. So thank you to them. Uh, do you know anything that you guys are doing on the program uh, tomorrow? We'll stop at Del Marva, catch up okay. with
1: Felipe Alou, the manager of okay. the Shorebirds. Uh, we're going to also stand. We'll put on Stan's friend Lee Lowenfish. Just wrote a new book uh, yep. about the minor league baseball and, and scouting. scouting. Mm-hmm. Yes,
0: kind of the death of scouting. Yeah, in and minor uh, league
1: baseball. Hopefully, we'll, we'll be able to avoid an Orioles sweep in Milwaukee
0: mm-hmm. and uh, preview I the Kansas so. City series. I hope so. Yeah. All right, um, that's all coming up tomorrow with uh, Stan and Griffin here on the program. Thanks to everybody at Pressbox, all of our great sponsors and partners, including A.J. Michaels, Glory Days Grill, Royal Farms, Costa Sin, the Baltimore Orioles, All American Lacrosse, Birdland Sports, your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. Thanks to Griffin at Griffin underscore bass. Follow us, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Glen Clark Radio. Have a great Thursday evening. Go for the love of God, go, birds, and go Hopkins baseball. Duke sucks.